Be with you. No. Sorry. I can smell innocence. At 50 yards. I've killed people. I've killed 15 people. Who told you that? What do you mean? He lied, asshole. You're natural. That means your meat. As we enter the penultimate episode of the Halloween Horrorthon, we welcome you all to the Film Effect Podcast, where we take all things film to the full effect. Last time I checked, my name's Ed, and with me 89% of the time is my cinematic life mate and cabal follower, Sean. Good morning, Film Effect. And if you're a fellow cinephile like us, or even a casual fan of movies in general, then you're tuning into the right show. This is a weekly podcast that does deep dives and touches lives on a weekly basis, focusing on a particular film each episode in an effort to give it the full film effect treatment. But before we follow our dreams and head to Midian, I want to let you guys know that our ever-growing collection of previous episodes can be found on our website at podpage.com slash the-film-effect-podcast, as well as all major platforms, direct link in the episode notes. Speaking of platforms, you can help us out tremendously by using Apple Podcasts to leave us an honest rating and review when the show's over because it helps us in so many ways and just we genuinely love hearing from you guys. All right, Sean, here we go. Where can we be found on both Facebook and Instagram? That's going to be the Film Effect Podcast. And how about the uh, Twitterverse known as Twitter? At Film Effect Pod. And old-fashioned emails, where can they be directed to? Simple enough, the Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. All right. So this screen reception has been amazing. (laughs) Did you see that screen (laughs) shot? I didn't, I didn't get a chance to get it in yet. You just put it up today. Yeah, I mean, I woke up around 
when I checked it around 8.30 this morning and when I got back from running around and stuff, we already had like 65 listens and I'm like, whoa, like that's unheard of for us. Like, honestly. Yeah, I mean, man, we're on, and to clarify, we're on East Coast time too. So it hit what, three o'clock in the morning. So that's in five hours. I'm guessing that's how you set it up. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I never thought about that. So yeah. Um, and just uh, the episode itself did good, but just overall, we had a great day. It's just for the podcast in general. Like that 65 wasn't just for screen. That was all like throughout the entire, you know, platform, not platform, the entire episode log that we have, our backlog. It was just all of them combined. Like, I, I mean, I, just, I, I, I got the, I got the image, the screenshot you sent me. You texted me that. I was still, I was still in bed. You sent me that. Um, so I saw that, but I've been laying kind of low on the, uh, on the interwebs the last couple of days. Any feedback on the, on the Howard Berger interview yet or? I haven't heard anything from anyone about the actual, you know, the, the, the actual episode. I'm just right. uh, basing it off of the numbers that I, you know, keep a close eye on from time to time. So, um, so to all those who have listened to the episode so far, I know it's, I know it's only been a day, but, uh, seriously, thank you. It's, uh, the episode meant a lot to us and, uh, hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed doing it. Um, so I think I've talked about this before. Maybe I haven't. I'm not sure. I just got off work. And for the listeners at home, uh, wherever you are listening, I work uh, full-time at Walmart in the uh, GM department, which is like sporting goods, home, uh, seasonal, all that shit. Basically, what I'm getting at is for the last month now, I've been dealing with Christmas shit. Like we put out Christmas stuff before October even hit. It was still September, dude. This shit has got to stop. It's insane. <laughs> I, I mean, no, I, 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 it's ridiculous. Skip right Christmas over Thanksgiving. No cornucopias. No shit like that to put up on your. Oh, dude, the, harvest, the harvest, the harvest section went up the first week of August. <laughs> Jesus Christ! But that's like I can tolerate that. That's whatever. It's it is what it is. It, 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 it's it, you know September is when fall starts anyway, so it makes sense. But the um. Christmas stuff. No, that's just that's bullshit. That's gotta stop. Come on, Walmart. Come on, be just just department stores in general. I'm sure I'm sure Target's doing the same thing. I haven't stopped putting a Target in a couple months, but I'm sure they've got their fair share of Christmas stuff already out as well. So um knock it off, guys. And speaking of work, apparently Marco Polo is a thing. Um, like between I, I hear it all the time at work. Like I always hear like parents go Marco and then like I'll wait a few seconds and I'll hear a random kid go Polo and I'm like what the hell is going on at first I didn't know what the hell it was I wasn't putting two and two together and I asked about it and apparently that's just a thing like for, for parenting and, and you know with kids and stuff and I'm like oh I never did that shit like you'll never catch me dead even when Madeline was you know two three years old with us like I, you would never hear me yell on Marco <laughs> and hoping to God I hear a polo back. I mean, I would, you know, I, they would always, my parents would always holler my name if I wandered off in the store, but I guess it makes sense. I mean, it's a different time, you know, the last thing you need is a stranger knowing your name, you know, when you're yeah, that young. Yeah, I, I guess that's, so that's, that's I understand that sense. that's, that's why you don't want to be announcing your child's name in public because who knows could hear it and use it to their advantage you know it's just, so it's just I, funny to me because you know when i think of marco polo besides you know i'm not a historian but i'm talking about like uh, it's like playing a blind game in the pool in the pool you know, of keep yeah, yeah. yeah it's like playing keep away in the pool yeah so um have you been watching chucky 
I dude, I told you I haven't. Um, I, that's right. That's I right. think. I think here's here's the deal because you told me, you know, because I, I could take or leave the whole franchise if I never see another one. I'm again, I'm not going to be remiss. Um, but you said I would probably, you know, enjoy this. So I'll wait till I can, you know. The last thing I want to do is is eat my druthers and then have to fucking wait a week. So that's something I can wait to binge. I know you and some people have been going back and forth about it on the socials, but again, I was never, I was never big into the Child's Play franchise. It's so really no interesting. Outside of your it's, word, it's the only appeal to me. Is what you're it's really okay. Just to, to talk about it real quick, because last night was the third episode of the season. I think it's eight episodes, so we're almost halfway there already. It feels like it just started, but really good episode, probably the best of the three so far. Um, and uh, I like how they're playing with Charles Lee Ray's backstory in this. I just like what Don Mancini's doing all around on this show. Uh, when I first heard about the show, you know, I kind of rolled my eyes and was just like, all right, Chucky on TV. It'll probably last a, a season or two and then probably get canceled or people will lose interest and whatever. But no, it, it seems like it's picking up steam every week and uh, for good reason because the show is really good. I was just kind of thinking about it briefly on the way home earlier. Um, it, I really like what I was saying earlier, like what Diamond City's doing. It's it's not what you expect from a Chucky series. Like this is actually a really good plot that ties into, you know, I really can't explain what it ties into because even us as the audience don't know yet. They're really hitting at something big that's supposed to happen. And I know, mild spoiler alert, we haven't seen Tiffany yet. We haven't seen Andy yet, although we did hear him on a phone call. In the first episode, we haven't seen Kyle yet. The three central characters from the the movies, uh, we haven't seen um, uh, what's their face, uh, Fiona Dorf's character. I forgot uh, her name, uh, Nika. We haven't seen her yet. So all the core characters from the films have not come into the show yet, and I kind of like the fact that I'm not even thinking about them as I'm watching these episodes so far because like it's doing a really good job of keeping its own plot intact, and I'm kind of curious now how they're gonna bring them all in so uh yeah it's really good so yeah definitely when it ends which but the way it's going it's gonna be next week it'll be the season finale you'll uh we'll definitely get you called up and uh see what you think because um really yeah you said it was about, about an hour long so i could probably binge it over the course of a weekend eh? yeah definitely it's if, or if Saturday afternoon. yeah that's yeah that's that's the thing man i'll i'll wait till i can get them all in and just Literally, I'll do it that way. Um, I am. I'm in no rush. I know you're not, but I, I know you, and I know your taste <laughs> and whatnot. I really do yeah. think that you'll enjoy this. So we'll see. Uh, like I said, that's the only thing that's got me intrigued about it is you telling me that I'll take it because I damn sure, you know, didn't dig anything after the first one, and even the first one was like, all right, yeah, I've seen that. Um, a little bit curious about how he did a modern day, you know, thing with all replies on Mark Hamill as a voice of the dial, but. You know, again, it's something I can, you know, you know when nothing else is on, I'll throw that some bitch on. <laughs> All right, so let's move right along to shout outs. Shout out to his family. All right, shout out this week or this episode, more or less, because we're doing less, more than one episode a week now. Shout out to The Middle with Hannah V. I've never mentioned this show before. It's uh, my friend Hannah. It's a podcast she just started about a month ago. Uh, she asked me to come on uh, this past Saturday while I was camping. Actually, I jumped on. It was only a half hour to, um, uh, spot. And um, 
it was a local movie that you ever heard of this? I'm sure you've heard of it. Uh, something came out a few years ago called Silos Point that was filmed in Silos Point. Yeah, Jim Belushi's in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I watched it. She wanted to talk. She wanted me to watch it and then you know talk about it because her show. She doesn't. It's not a movie podcast. It's it's uh, more about like mental health and stuff like that, and and you know just just everyday issues that we go through as people, and. She wanted to do an episode on this, talk about you know the 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 the, the plot and kind of talk briefly talk about mental health and with how it plays into the film and whatnot. So I gave it a shot the night before and I watched it. I had to pull it up with my cell phone and the and the, the, the camper, um, but um, you know it's on Vudu for free, so I checked it out through there. And um, yeah, as for the movie, and I told her this, it's it's whatever. The movie's really not that great at all. It doesn't even end. It doesn't have an ending or a proper third act. It just kind of builds up to nothing. And like just after it ended, I just asked myself, what the hell is that? Like, <clears throat> I just wasted an hour and a half of, you know, it was cool seeing all the local spots, you know, Dundalk and whatnot. But as far as a movie standpoint, it made no goddamn sense because I wasted an hour and a half of my time because there's no ending. And like, it builds up to nothing. It just ends. And I'm like, oh, okay so yeah um so yeah i talked about it i think you know i i got out of the file edited on my end the other day so i think it's going to be i think she told me it'll be out this weekend so yeah the show is called the middle with hannah v uh check her out uh shout out the crazy train radio and my boy jonathan i actually meant to do this the other episode on screen but never got around to it uh just slipped my mind uh because if it weren't for jonathan i wouldn't have had a connection with howard Berger. so i i owe Jonathan, a great deal for that. And uh, his show is Crazy Train Radio. He does uh, every few weeks or so, he'll have a different um, B side, you know, B celebrity uh, interview, uh, more or less horror genre people and, and whatnot. And he, he's been doing a lot more like old school sports people uh, or athletes. That's, that's the word I'm looking for uh, from like baseball and hockey and football from like the 70s and 80s and um so yeah he's got a really interesting show um check out the interview that he did with um lynn shea great episode she actually busted out the uh silicone breast from the something about mary she actually still nice. has those. so uh, yeah it was a good episode i checked that one out if you're looking for something to start off with so moving right along shout out to the good the bad and the sequel they have an episode on Halloween 4 dropping tomorrow, and I'm really curious because I'm a big fan of that movie, as we all know. Uh, uh, Drunk Theory, Cinema Recall, Caught Connections, and the Bad Movie Caught Podcast. Support each show by giving them a follow and then a listen. And uh, yeah, moving right along again. No new regions this week, but we can jump into current events. All right, so first world problems. Apparently, Michael Myers is a homophobe. Discuss. I mean, come on now. That's just, I read that, and I'm like, you know, the movie's not out. You're pissed about the firefighters, that shit, the bed, and blew back in your face. Now you're like, ah, he kills. It could have been a a black couple living at home. could have been an Asian couple living at home. He'd have been a bigot no matter how you slice it. It wasn't the, the type of people that lived in the home. It's the fact that they bought the fucking Myers house and they lived in the house. It could be me and Eddie. Was he got it something against heterosexual podcasters? Now we're gonna go we're we're gonna go against him. 
the fuck, man? Get over yourselves. There's more important shit to talk about. I can't believe this actually gets traction in the press. Somebody I, got paid probably 500 bucks for the byline to write that article. Yeah. I, I remember day, him doing this shit for free. Any other day, I would just move right along, not even bat an eye at this bullshit. But the fact that it's on TMZ's homepage, I'm like, oh, you Jesus Christ. Me. You've got to be shitting me. TMZ's talking about this shit now. You've got to be shitting me. All right. Well, I guess I'm not going to let them one up me. I guess I'm going to have to bring it up on the fucking show. So here we are talking about it. Michael Myers is definitely not a goddamn homophobe. He's just nothing. He's an, he's he's, an equal opportunity killer, man. Look at the dog. He, where was Peter? Where was Peter? Why wasn't Peter pissed off about him getting a little hungry? He's just a fan of the holiday, and he's got the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. And come on, he just does a little killing. Jesus stab, stab. Stab, stab, you know? This, All right. this, this is why we can't have anything nice. Oh, fuck no. So we're going to talk. We're going to stop talking about this right now and talk about creepy recommends. What would you get for a six-year-old boy who chronically wets his bed? I'm going to go. Go out on a limb here and recommend Night of the Demons, the original Night of the Demons with uh, Miss Linnea Quigley. Um, mm. I actually picked it up uh, a couple weeks back. Uh, Soundgarden had the uh, Scream Factory disc for only 10 bucks. And um, yeah, brand new. I'm like, hell yeah. I haven't seen this movie since I was a kid. And uh, it's funny because I'm actually more familiar with Night of the Demons 2 than the first one because I grew up watching the second one on Cinemax um, with uh, Christine Taylor. Shout out. Um, but no, uh, this movie is fucking great. It's it's a classic for a reason. I love the opening credits. I just think the the lipstick shit is all it's iconic in the <laughs> genre. Um, I don't know how long it's been since you've last watched it, but I had fun with this movie and I recommend uh, everyone else check this fucking shit out because it's good uh, stuff. It's easy, man. It, it, it's been more than twenty years for me. So, damn. I always, I, I always used to pick it up thinking I was grabbing a hold of demons. You know the the the, yeah, the yeah, Italian, yeah. you know, because I, 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 I swear by that. You know, my love for you know for Italian horror, especially from the eighties. Um, I would always come back. Yeah, no, no, I don't want none of that. I want demons. I want none of that. Um, so again, yeah, I the last time I watched it, I was probably you know. Middle school, or maybe just starting high school. I caught it on, you know, HBO or Cinemax or something. Right, 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 right. Okay. All right. How about you? What's your recommendation for this one? Uh, man, thanks to you, me and Mandy finally got to lay eyes on color out of space, dude. What a bug nuts, fun little ride that fucking <laughs> slick is, man. I mean, I knew it was going to be cool. Thank you. You know, God love Richard Stanley's out of the jungle, man, putting out fucking work again. You know, since they fucked us since Bob Shea, I'm, you know, since Bob Shea ran him off in the old wilds in a fucking jungle during the film of Dr. Moreau, you know, um, and at first I thought we were like, I was digging it, don't get me wrong, but I kind of said to Mandy, I'm like, I'm a little disappointed, we're getting like a, you know, a reined in Nicolas Cage, and this is a Richard Stanley flick directing a fucked up sci-fi show from Philip K. Dick. Well, I'll be damned if I don't need my words by Act 3, and he just goes out full-on fucking cage-erific in this flick, man. Yeah, yeah it's dude, really good. I, 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 we, we, me and Mandy were both saying that that I, I'm, I'm petitioning, I want to put it on the list for some time next year, and if we do, she wants to join us, dude. That was. I'm so glad that you picked that up and laid it on me, because when it had come out, like, I couldn't justify the, you know, the price, because I wasn't getting a discount on it at, at work. And I was like, ah, I don't know. It's like, I don't want to drop that kind of money when there's hardly any meat to this thing, you know? 
And I just figured I'd keep waiting for it to hit prime or something. And then you just showed up <laughs> we, when we did our double whammy last week. And you're like, oh, yeah, here you go. Pick this up. Fucking we've watched it the next day. I forgot to talk to you about it. Great little film, man. I can't wait. I mean, we got to cover it next year. Dude. We really do. Yeah, the uh, the merger scene it really fucking got me. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it happened, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, really... being, I'm, I'm being cool because I want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't, don't want to anything either. Yeah, it's like because I knew kind of what it was about, and but I didn't know it went like it, it went that deep into the fucking crazy and the groove, man. Like none yeah. of the reviews I read yeah. like talked about the the effects that he made. He's like, "What the fuck is this?" I'm like it's great. In it, as soon as it was over, I showed her the documentary about the making of the Doctor Moreau movie that would, where all this, all that shit happened, and Stanley just literally like just fucking ran to the jungle and hit from the business for twenty years. You know, everything is true. God's an <laughs> astronaut. Oz is over the rainbow. And Midian, Midian is where the monsters, where the monsters live. This is Nightbreed. Who's buried in Midian? Ain't nothing but dead folk. Somewhere. <laughs> hidden from sight. Closer than you might think. Is a place that's not on any map. Midian. Something's breathing there. It looks a lot like hell. But they call it home. There goes the neighborhood. They're not pretty. They're not neighborly. You'll come back now, you hear? They're not even human. But this time, they're the good guys. From the imagination of Clive Barker comes Nightbreed. You can't go down there! They have only one enemy. A beast called man sworn to destroy the nightbreed sounds like we're going head to head with the devil himself and only one chance a man Hoga! called moon it's time to fight go get him boys i'll kill you what chance have we got they're armed so am i out of your deepest fears and your darkest fantasies, Clive Barker brings you a startling new breed of adventure. I won't let you down. Nightbreed. At last, the night has a hero. Outstanding. In Nightbreed, a troubled young man is drawn to a mythical place called Midian, where a variety of friendly monsters are hiding from humanity. All right, first time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically, that's my second time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it so if i'm not up to uh so for me this was i mentioned the station earlier but it, it was this was a cinemax regular and this movie goes way back like i'm talking like when it first came out and, and premiered on cinemax way back when like 30 years ago ish like that this movie like i grew up on this one and i can say that with uh pride because this movie is so fucking good and i'm so glad that pretty much now 
Um, yeah, Miles, just to let people know right up front before we even jump into anything else, um, Sean and I watched the Cabal cut. We watched the director's cut, the Cabal cut, however you want to interpret or, you know, call I, it. Technically, it's director's cut. Cabal cut has an additional, I believe, 16 minutes, but all was lost. The closest we got is that 153 minute VHS copy that was making around on the West v- Coast about. Exactly. I know. That's what I'm saying. Unfinished. That's the closest that you're ever going to get to the true Cabal cut. But at least, you know, we. We get this, and I love the fact that it's just referred to now as Nightbreed. It's no longer billed as director's cut or whatever. It's just straight. When I well, you log in there, it's just fucking Nightbreed. But That's it's, not good, it's pretty much it's pretty much the only uh, version you can watch now digitally and on 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 demand and stuff because that's pretty much that's the way Clive wanted it. It's, it's funny, the definitive I, version. I, I watched. I have. I own the Cabal. I call. I always call it the Cabal Cut. So forgive me. That's how I'm going to keep calling it in this episode. I yeah, own. Exactly. I own. I own the Scream Factory disc, and that's the only. Unless you got the limited uh, edition, which was only um, the first ten thousand copies of it. Um, unfortunately, I wish I owned that one. But that you can only have the direct. Uh, the yeah, the Cabal Cut director's cut. The theatrical version is only on the limited edition. Oddly enough, and. I honestly have not watched the theatrical version of this movie in probably in a decade. It's probably been that long because ever since this got released in 2014 onward, it's just been Cabal Cut for me. Um, and yeah, the yeah, and true I actually, Cabal I, Cut is like you can only find it on VHS because the, the what I was getting at real quick uh, before you, I didn't mean to cut you off, but the um, the Nightbreed disc before the movie starts is an introduction that's like 10 minutes long with Clive Barker and his partner. I think the guy's name is Rob Miller or something like that. It is. He, it is. Okay, cool. Mark so, Miller. Mark Miller. Mark Miller. Okay. So they talk about, you know, the, how the, how the movie, how Clive feels about the movie. He still loves it dearly. And the nightmare that they went through with it being released initially with the studio. And then how, you know, when Scream Factory came to them about this lost edition, lost cut, they, Mark talked about how he just went through so many hoops to find the footage and eventually it led him to the, the, the cabal cut, but then it was just too, it, the V it was, the quality was just so shitty that they couldn't do anything with it. But that also led him breadcrumbs kept spreading to, you know, other studios and their vaults and whatnot. And he finally found all this footage. Now, Granted, this is 40 additional minutes of footage. It's it's 40 it's 40 minutes of brand new footage. But in order to do that, they took away 20 minutes of the theatrical cut to incorporate this. So it's truly only 20 minutes longer, but you're actually getting like a whole new movie. And half this footage is brand new because they have got rid of 20. They cut out 20 minutes here and there from the theatrical, and then they added 40. So do some math. You know, that's how we got this. That's why it's the only that's why it's only twenty minutes longer, but it's forty minutes of new footage. Yeah, but trust it trust us when we tell you again, you ain't missing out of that twenty minutes of shit that they did get rid of. You ain't missing shit. I'm glad they erased that fucking thing from basically the memory of the world. Well, let's not tear it to shreds because there was a point in time when you and I that's all we had to watch and we loved it. I, know, just, I, I know, and I'm gonna know. I'm gonna get into how I feel about that too. Um I got yeah. an interesting story. Okay. Um so yeah, that was my first time. I can't pinpoint the actual true first time, but it was around the time it premiered on Cinemax because this movie was always on. 
you know, watching this movie, I get kind of flashbacks in my head of like the commercials for the movie, like, you know, tonight at nine, you know, Nightbreed and shit, like the, the shot of Decker walking up the steps towards the boy comes to mind and all sorts of just other stuff. I, I get nostalgic in a sense. So how about you? Um, well, for this, part, I, I'm, I'm going to tell both stories. For this particular cut, what I was about to say, um, you know, I was jumping in there and you, uh, was I, I beat you. I remember like quickly beating you to the punch on this because we were both like, both, we were excited that it was finally, we we're finally going to get to see this new footage. And then I remember coming home from work one day and texting you because I'm fucking around on night, uh, I mean, on uh, Netflix. And I see it's it's a new, you know, just added, and it said Nightball, Nightbreed Director's Cut. And I look at the runtime. I'm like, damn sure it wasn't that long. And I looked up just, you know, the regular runtime, and I texted you. I'm like, dude, Cabal Cuts on Netflix. Holy fuck, you got to get home and watch it. Like, it'll leave work early. Fake sick. And I think, I like, I beat you by like a day or two to this. But we were both really excited about it. Now, my first viewing of the film ever I remember like, you know, distinctly seeking it out on VHS because I had seen, you know, the trailers for it on other horror movies I had read it, you know, previously throughout the summer and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it, but I always came away feeling like, you know, just something wasn't quite right. Like I wasn't, there was, it was just missing something, you know, and I felt like, you know, like I was full, but I wasn't satisfied. Like I had a good meal, but I was expecting a great one, you know. And then and then when you and I were working the same Verizon company back when I used to work that little kiosk in Harford Mall, and you ran that, that shop a couple of times. I mean, you know how boring it would be sitting waiting for somebody to come up in the middle of the mall and talk about a phone. You just find stupid shit to look up online. So and this and, and this was long before you know, the Scream Factory release when we had these jobs. And I found like a GeoCities fan site. And for all I know, it could have been maybe it was run by Mark Miller or one of his associates or whatever. That was actually like I was following these updates and like just looking at like still shots of, of some of the VHS, you know, the, the, the long lost VHS footage, some of which does show up in this. They cleaned it up, some of which I've seen stills of what didn't make it. Um, but I remember reading this and it talked about like, in a, you know, they talked about like going to like some big event, you know, kind of like a Monster Mania type deal and, and you know, somewhere out in Colorado or, or California or something. And, and there was a screening of the VHS, but they kind of did it on like a big projector outside. And shit Ew. And Ew, not, i look like shit I, I know right i know but still oh, I mean, like the, it's just the fact that you know but this guy's like kind of writing about like you know there's there's there are these you know this is not just a rumor like back then it was literally just a rumor like clive didn't even want to speak about it because he was so pissed at what 20th century fox did to his film like he wouldn't even you know for a bit there didn't even want to acknowledge that there that there was hope for an alternate version and then suddenly it slowly begins to boil to the surface and come to fruition. So I kind of followed that, you know, this whole, you know, re-release of a brand new beloved, yet still beloved flick from gestation, you know, and, and, but that's what I mean, why I'm glad that that theatrical one is just no longer really even given the fact of being an option for anybody. Cause why the fuck would you knowing what, what you really get with this? That's, that was my point in that because, and we'll talk more about what we're missing when we had that theatrical cut where I felt like, you know, I was, I was full, but I wasn't satisfied. All right, so 
story time. Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit. But it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. So I kind of talked about it. Or I, I, I briefly mentioned that you know this movie kind of makes me nostalgic. Um, this is a quick, stupid story. But <laughs> I can't believe I'm talking about this on the air. Um, so the, the, the character of Sherlyn... The friend that Laurie finds at the bar who goes back to Midian. I don't know what it was. And I'm, I'm kind of sitting here as I'm telling the story, trying to have, you know, kick back it to my six, seven year old self when I first saw this. And I used to like fucking daydream about like being in that situation, like in the field and shit. And like, and I think it was because like I had this like, crush on one of them too and like i just like i would have daydreams of like playing hero and like beating decker for him so he wouldn't fucking kill it was just like i don't know it, it was just something you know it, it made sense to bring up for this category and you know it was like there's nothing really to it it was just i used to have like these like just stupid daydreams of just saving Cheryl and fucking Lori from the, the evil Decker <laughs> in that fucking field outside the cemetery gates. So, uh, with that being said, let's get the live top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay. I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones. Track ones. Janie Jones, Clash from The Clash. Hey. Let's get it on. Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana smells like teen spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough. Not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though and not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Nation. I just named my five since I have it on here. I mean, if it's um, more than just this and the, and the Hellraiser franchise, I mean, and anything else, I'm... You know, it's really kind of escaping me. I you know, didn't really follow that's, one. That's totally fair. That's totally fair. So I'll just run down real quick for me, my five to one. Uh, number five for me, Lord of Illusions. Uh, oh, Jesus. Five. Yeah, see? I don't even four. realize he's associated with these. Mm. Number four, Midnight Me Train. Uh, no, number three, Candyman. Number two, Damn. Hellraiser. And number one is this, Nightbreed. Dude, I would have had the exact same list if my if my eye would have been on the prize and I'd have seen that. I couldn't have. I would. I would have done the exact same order. But and you know you're right. I just tend to forget that he's attached to it. It's because he's so prominent with you know Clyde Barker's Hellraiser, and then I always remember like throwing Nightbreed up as and you know because there'd be all these Pinhead fans and like fuck you man, come all for the win. You know nobody was giving it this love. Like everybody was all about you know Hellraiser, and I always forget that that yeah Barker was like a Stephen King only darker and british and yep. you know it's it, you're absolutely right he's got all these great you know stories that have been ad adapted into really fun genre flicks that 
just honest to God, I would have had to stop and go to his IMDb page be like, fuck, he was involved with all these. Because they don't come to me. They come to me as like just great horror flicks that I love for, I don't know, just because I do. Not because right, right. Clyde Barker was a ta associated with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just, fun, just fun stories. So yeah, I would have had the exact same list as you in the exact same fucking order probably. Although I'm assuming you're talking when you say Candyman, you're talking about the original Tony Todd, not the one you just went and saw. Oh, yeah, because he had nothing to right. the new one. Yeah. That's cool. Cool. All right, so let's talk about the film. So right off the bat, we get this cool Nightbreed title card that's just set to, when I say set to, you see like the lettering go across the screen and you're seeing what I'm about to describe like in the lettering, which is like fire and, and, and it's like the monsters are running around, um, you know, in, in the, it's kind of like they're teasing what you're about to get into when you get the Midian, basically. Yeah, it's basically like you're looking at a black screen and the word the word Nightbreed comes up, but the Nightbreed is clear, enabling you to see the action behind it. And that's like the montage that Ed's talking yeah. about. And then we get the opening credits set to like fire and drawings of Midian, a city where monsters are accepted. Um, and it, it, after it, the director comes up, Clive Barker, it ends with a dog with glowing eyes. And then we get a quick cut to some of the monsters running through the foggy land of the graveyard where Midian is located at night, heading for the cemetery gates as they pass and uh, and they, they close the gates up. And this turns out to be a dream of Boons, who's our lead character here, played by Craig Sheffer. Yeah. Not, now, funny, this is not the only Clive Barker-associated film he's involved with because... He was in a little film called Hellraiser Inferno about 10 years later. Um, which, of course, pinned, even though Clive did, had nothing to do with that fucking piece of shit. He Clive, still gets residual checks off, off the right. He created like, Pinhead, right. Right, so he, so he, he still gets, he, you know, he gets a piece of the pie. He just has no say in it whatsoever. I'm sure a couple zeros hit his bank account every year. You know, I wouldn't turn the fucking money down. You know? So, Sean, what's your favorite Craig Sheffer film other than this? Um, honestly, you know what I was thinking back to? You ever seen a, um, it's, you would like it. Um, a little flick with him and Emilio Estevez called, uh, called This Is, uh, That Was Then, This Is Now. You ever heard of this film? Yeah, yeah. a little independent movie from like, 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 like the, like the 80s. Um, and yeah, just a couple of juvenile delinquents where, like, right. um, Emilio's character living with Sheffer and his mom. You know, they're still in high school. Um, and I think the, the crux of it, if I remember, I'm probably, I, you say, it was one of those ones you used to run on cable all the fucking time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm fairly certain it's Craig Shepherd I'm thinking of in this movie. God, I hope it, it is. is. It is. It is. Oh, okay. I have it I have pulled up here. here. Uh, it's, yeah, it was, so it's the it's, second yeah, movie ever. As, oh, yeah, because it was, like I said, he was very young. So is, so is Amelia. Um, but, like, he kind of falls in love and he's going to, like, you know, no longer be the, the delinquent type. And it kind of leaves his buddy, like, you know, Amelia was like, you know, he's kind of rebellious. Like, what does that leave, leave me? You know, it's just, it, it's a good little, you know, a good little story. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I don't know why, but I've always thought back to that film. 
Um, cause it's just one of those ones I just discovered on, on, you know, making it to run on Showtime or something. And it was always one that I would stop and watch if I flipped around and it was on. Um, so yeah, I would recommend that to somebody who's never seen it. If you like those type of stories, you know, nothing heavy duty, but most of the coming of age drama. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I always forget first off that he was in some kind of wonderful, which yeah. I kind of dig. But then, like, he was on a roll in the early 90s with this, and then he did um, A River Runs Through It with Brad mm-hmm. Side Pitt. And yep. then th- the next year, uh, he was in Fire in the Sky. Mm-hmm. He was in Fire on the Amazon with Sandra Bullock. And then he was in a little known flick, and probably my favorite movie of his outside of this, obviously, called The Program. With uh, James Caan, uh, Christy Swanson. It's like, like, like high school or college football or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and a lot of people love that movie, and yeah, rightfully so. Halle Berry's in it, Omar Epps. Uh, he likes to drink Sheps. Or what is it? Mo Sheps. Mo Sheps. Mo Sheps. I go up the stairs, I don't take the escalator, I take the steps. Because I'm most apps. That's an inside joke between me and like three other Ravens fans out here. We should always make fun of the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. <laughs> if Joe Venker's listen, he'll get it. He's about the only he'll, other one. He'll get it. He'll get it. Venker listens. He'll get it. Shout out, Venker. Yeah. Um, all right. So off the subject of Craig Sheffer, uh, Boone here, he wakes up to his girlfriend, Lori, who uh, wants to get away together where there's nothing but them and no more bad dreams. Talking about right off the bat, or you know, we, we, we find out that you know this is not a, a this is a, a reoccurrence for for uh, Boone here. These dreams of these monsters dancing around the graveyard at night, um, and he reveals to his girlfriend that uh, Decker, who is his doctor, has been calling him again, but says that he hasn't called him back because he's uh, frustrated. Decker, played by director David Cronenberg, sometimes actor, <laughs> but most famous for being. A director, um, you recommended. director. Yeah, you recommended his son's flick last episode. Um, oh yeah, yeah, uh, Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, where to even begin with with David Cronenberg? You know, as, we well, I mean, he as he grew older, he started doing like more. I mean, he got away from that whole body horror thing that he was known for. But let's face it, that's you know when he was. When he was doing that type of shit, man, he, he showed you shit like you never even thought of before. That's why I said, you know, we talked when I talked about Possessor last week. That, you know, Brandon's kind of following in Dad's footsteps when it comes to that. You know, to that resolve, man. Apple don't fall too far from the tree with that plan. I mean, look at this. I mean, Shivers, which I own, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the Brood. Someone had Marilyn Chambers, wasn't it? Yeah, Scanners, yeah. Videodrome. No, Chambers was in Rabbit. Uh, yeah, scanners, video drone, the dead zone, the fly, the yeah. fly, crash, video drones, man. a history of violence, Eastern yeah. Promises. I mean, yeah. he did he did that movie about um um what was it Sigmund Freud and uh Viggo Mortensen plays I think Sigmund Freud right? 
I guess and nothing there was Yeah, it's, it was later. It was like after he's doing like he's, you know, him and Viggo Mortensen were like always teaming up and they were doing these dramas and they got you know, they they won for history of violence. I'm pretty sure Eastern Promises got a few nominations. They're very good films, but like I said, as he, he, he matured, so did the his his the, the the style of his output. Like he doesn't do this that that kind of shit. He's like that's his son's job now. You know, my I favorite really enjoy most flick of all time is video from now. I, I really enjoy his last flick that he did back in 2014, Matt the Stars. Uh, him, uh, he directed uh, Robert Pattinson, John Cusack, uh, Julianne Moore. Uh, yeah, I know of it. You've been telling me to watch that for a long time. I it's that. a really underrated film. It's like the, about um, this child star and a washed up actress. Um, it, 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 it's pretty much his commentary on the uh, entertainment industry's relationship with uh western civilization as a whole it's a lot of right. it's very it's very californian right um, that's what i read yeah and uh it's just um a lot of people you know just a heads up a lot of people trash the film and don't like it but i really did dig it i, I thought it was a really underrated film i still think it's underrated for what kind of film it is and um yeah so yeah, it came out about seven, eight years ago. It's called Matt the Stars, and uh, unfortunately, he hasn't done a film since. So, uh, hopefully, that uh, stops that that little streak, or we're going to call it, just comes to an end, and he does something. Although I do see here, he's got a film that he's supposed to be doing called Crimes of the Future, that comes out next year with Viggo Mortensen, um, Kristen Stewart, and Scott Speedman. Damn, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. And um, let me see here. Production began in August and concluded last month in Athens, Greece. Okay, so he's got he finally that the drought is over. I'll be looking forward to that next year. So um, it's about the film. Uh, Boone's girlfriend Lori wants uh, Boone to go to Decker and talk talk to him about the bad dreams. No, she wants to, she tells him to go tell tell him the bad dreams are over. So Boone and Boone get, next scene, he's in the shower and gets out, and the phone rings, and he goes downstairs and answers it, not even thinking. And it's Decker who says that he needs to see Boone. Boone tells him that he's healthy and good, but Decker says he'd like to believe it's true and wants him to stop by anyway. Um, even telling Boone not to let him down before the conversation ends. So he's kind of like he's kind of a. Um, I don't know. Possessor. He's a very. He's before. a very. He's a. He's a very creepy, domineering therapist. If you ask domineering. Me. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. Domineering. Yeah, therapist. Um, he's kind of like the anti-therapist, though. <laughs> for real, man. <laughs> really. Um. So yeah, Boone says that he'll stop by after hanging up, and and then after hanging up, we see Decker open up a briefcase, and its contents are blocked from our viewer, um, or from. Our view, and he says, God help us both. So the next scene, we see what's in that briefcase. It turns out it's his little mask. Uh, no, a little mask. The mask is fucking badass. This, this, if you've never seen Nightbreed, chances are you've seen this mask. In it's, some way, some fashion, some form, you've seen this Decker mask. And, um, do you remember we were at Monster Mania and I just could not stay away from that thing? The one dude was selling them. Like by Sunday, he like kept, we had kept coming back to his boots just so I could look at it again. 
<laughs> and you can do it on trick or treat. Trick or treat makes a fucking rock salad replica mask. But back, to, but back then, when we were at the con. This was what, what probably over ten years ago. You know, one, yeah. it wasn't so much a thing. You know, I kept coming back to it, and like, and you were even trying to trying to talk me into getting it. And by like Sunday afternoon, the guy was he'd come down quite a bit in price. Like, dude, I know you want this thing, man. I said, look, brother, here's the deal: what I can afford this this mask is worth your work is worth more than what I can afford. It's just gorgeous. But uh, yeah, man, that fucking Decker mask is is top notch. It's one of the ten most memorable original, you know, created for film masks out there. So it's kind of like a sack that wraps around the head completely. His eyes are buttons. Yeah, two like um, button eyes, and then the mouth is a zipper, it's but a zipper, it's off the side. But it's off, very off centered, very off centered, like but on it's the side. Mask. It really is, and he he's got his suit. You know, you see him with the, uh, the 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 top coat and stuff, and he's got the mask going over top. And so there's this family. You see this um, husband and wife, and the son's upstairs. Like this boy's no no more than five six years old. Yeah, and he wakes up from in the middle of the night. Mom and dad are downstairs goofing around watching TV. Yeah, he's watching a baseball game or something, and she's got. She says that she wants to go make was it popcorn or something. She goes into the kitchen to make something for him, and then. Uh, she opens up the freezer and turns around and there's Decker with the mask and everything and he just like slashes at her twice and she falls back. Great makeup work. The face is and, and it looks like a little he got some of her neck and that's why she dies. Otherwise it would just been a face slash kind of like psycho. And right. it's a cool effect. It's cool. Uh, and then you see the father goes he's watching TV and this is another scene that always stuck out to me as well from like commercials and whatnot is uh the shot the old man on the couch and he assumes it's his wife behind walking up behind it's decker and he turns the light off he, he, he turns the light down i can't remember what he does with the light shit anyway long story short he slits the guy's throat and the story he goes in little boy still searching or still looking down the stairs because he hears the commotion going on and then decker appears and he starts walking up the steps towards the boy now so are we what do you think you think decker off them yeah, it's in, it's implied, and and I don't see I, I don't see Decker Why having that more the steps. Right, and it, 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 Decker's it, Decker's just off his fucking rocker completely. The last guy you want to be taking mental health advice from is this fucking crazy serial killer. Um, yeah, he's got no moral compass to let the kid live. They just don't show the death on you know on screen. It's one it's one thing. It's, you well, know, it's briefly talked about later on because it's like, yeah. It's heavily implied. You said this is they, they, there's an article or something or someone's talking about the this is the eighth um, family massacre. So I'm assuming that yeah, obviously the boy died too because they would have just they would they would have mentioned otherwise. I'm sure yeah. he's done this. It's not the first time he's done this. This is the eighth time, in fact, it's said. So, <clears throat> um. We cut the Boone, who's working at his. Uh, he's a mechanic at an auto shop, and he's uh, down working on a car, and he's all fucking dirty as shit. And uh, Lori comes, stops by. She's all like done up and shit. She's on her way to rehearsal 
but wanted to see Boone first. And they're like, they're all kissing and stuff. And I'm like, lady, look at him and look at you. Like, I know he's covered in grease because he's, he's, he's like dropping a tranny out of like a out of 81 Chevy Caprice or some shit. Yeah, he's like, all oh, his face is all black and shit. And it's just like, <laughs> came out of, looks, looks like he came out of a fucking coal mine. Uh, they're all getting all hot and heavy and i'm like you sure you want to do that before you go to where you're going so um uh, what am i at here my name okay so uh boone goes to visit decker and they discuss boone's claim boone uh his claims to midian he chalks it up to uh being an imaginary city where he we went to be forgiven for his sins and he admits that it's all in his head and that they don't exist you know, most of my colleagues would have walked away from a case like yours. But I found you intriguing. All that talk about monsters and Midian. Only I didn't create them. Heard about them from other people. Yeah, but you incorporated it into your private mythology. Yeah, I guess I did. I needed a place to escape to. A place where all your sins would be forgiven. Yeah. Do you remember what sins? What do you mean? Well, when you imagine yourself being taken away to this invented city, to Midian, what sins were you going to be forgiven? Are we back in therapy, doctor? They were just dreams. Midian doesn't exist. Monsters don't exist. But murder does, Aaron. Murder is very, very real. It might start in the mind, but then it changes to flesh and blood. Two days ago, the police brought me some photographs. They wanted to know if any of my patients was capable of doing what's in those photographs. I'm going to show them to you. Why? Because when you talked about murder on the tapes, I assumed it was just hallucination. That's what I assumed. What you described on those tapes, Aaron, was very detailed, very specific. Houses, faces. These houses, these faces. Oh, I, I don't remember. Would you like to hear it? No. So you think I did this? Six families killed in 10 months, Aaron. Oh, God. What am I gonna do? You're gonna take these. They'll help you. You've got 24 hours to go to the police and tell them the truth. And that's all I can give you. Uh, he sees bullshit in Decker. Decker mentions the murders and shows Boone various photographs of six families. I'm sorry, six families, not eight, who were slaughtered over the last 10 months. He's essentially gaslighting Boone. That's the impression I got. It's pretty fucking obvious. Decker is totally, you know, uh, gaslighting Boone with all this shit, you know? And yeah, now here's the thing. What he's, what, he's, what he's trying to do is gaslight Boone into not only thinking that he's blacking out and committing these murders, hence, you know, take this lithium script that I had filled for you, which yeah. we find out isn't lithium, um, but also to turn himself in and confess to the murders. Now, here's a problem I have with that. 
Decker's plan falls apart if he wants to just keep on fucking killing. Why would he have a scapegoat turn himself in? Because if Boone's behind fucking bars and more families get slayed, Boone's not going to stay behind bars. He's going to, you know, it, it makes no sense to me. You know what I mean? Oh, I like, know. I, yeah. As much as I hate to pick apart a film that I love, this part just doesn't make the whole, you know, I get it. It shows Deckard being a domineering fucking creepy psychopath. But, you know, there's, there's, he didn't stop it for a second to think that there's absolutely no reason, but, you know, to his rhyme. Because it would make no sense for Boone to go to jail for the crimes. Then Decker would have to stop. Bro, bro, no movie is safe. We wouldn't be <laughs> us if we weren't, you know, true. Critiquing, true. You know, even films we love, it doesn't matter. True. Like, no true. film is safe. All bets are off. And you were totally right. So it's kind of like, Clive wants the viewer to, you know, not think ahead that far, you know, it's right. just like he's only going to do this for a short amount of time and then put it all on this guy and then all is going to be forgotten while this guy rots, an innocent man rots away yada 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 and nah. so you got a valid point and again, I just think Clive kind of dumbs down the audience a little bit with that yeah yeah so he like you said he gives uh boone uh some pills to help him and gives him 24 hours to go to the police and confess what he did saying that it's all that he can give him so boone goes home and tosses the pills and starts a fire using all this personal stuff in which he sits in front of and has a vision of himself coming down in his underwear and making love to Lori in bed it's a very trippy very trippy cinematography in this moment here. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 weird. So then we get my least favorite scene of this movie. Laurie's dreadful performance of Johnny Get Angry. I've never enjoyed this scene. She acts so weird and over the top while being obviously dubbed on stage. Right. I just, I, I, I don't know. I've like, I think her name is Ann Bobby who plays. Uh, it Ann is. Bobby. It is. It is. I, I'm very critical of her in this film to begin with, and this scene does her no favors at all. No, does not. Um, yeah, it is a very cringe performance. So, and it's pretty, and it's the whole fucking song. Yeah, like, she, you know, she's rocking the house. There's fucking, you know, all the good old boys are in there. They're, they're, at, they're at a country folks. bar. They're at this country pretty bar. Pretty much. Yeah, and then Boone comes in mid-performance, and he's the only one not having a good time. He's just, like, all up in his head and shit. He chest. looks really out of it, and then he leaves when the song ends, and then... <laughs> We just cut to Lori getting home to, uh, she comes home to an empty apartment expecting Boone to be there. So she calls him and leaves a message on his answer machine. Hey, remember those? Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. Meanwhile, Boone's walking the streets and jumps out of a, jumps out in front of a truck. You know, he's all fucked up from these pills that he's taken. So yes. at, the at the hospital, he's asked what he's been taking and he says lithium, but the doctor says that that's not that. And he's experiencing a bad trip. Yeah, it's so some high-powered psych. He's like basically, you know, hallucinatory 
you know, drugs. You're, you're having yeah, what we yeah, yeah. call a bad trip, son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So sleeping it off, Boone wakes up to someone in the room begging, begging to be taken to Midian. Turns yeah, out- Adam, it's just this is another thing too. Like all Boone's doing, like he's not even under any sort of arrest or anything. They just got him just sleeping off, you know, a bad trip, and they happen to put him into bed next to the one and only person, other Canadian in the country who knows a Midian. And we're going to get into this ridiculous Midian too. Like there's a there, there's a love hate relationship I have with with the town of Midian personally but yeah like boone just happens to wake up next to the one other squirrel in canada that's ever heard of the town of midian and the guy's just calling out to be going back there good it's, Nar- <laughs> it's, it's, it's narcisse narcisse yeah yeah narcisse he says midian is where the monsters go and take away the pain so he asked boone who he who's he know who he knows about it and says that they only take you if you're worthy Boone wants to go together, but Narcisse instead skins around his face using these thumb knives that he has after thanking Boone for coming and taking him to Midian with him. Yeah, they're like these little rings that he slips over his thumbs, and he's got these two razor-sharp curved blades on him. How he snuck those past the orderlies when they brought him in for whatever <laughs> you know his mental right, issue was right. is beyond me. But yeah, then he just basically reverse he basically scalps himself so it's just literally the only yeah, thing I was about street. to say look it's like a reverse scalpel he scalps himself but like he leaves everything he leaves his face on and everything comes off everything else like, comes like, off and it's my favorite bit of makeup work in the whole film is Narcisse and there's great makeup work in this entire movie but oh, Narcisse just, look I forgot how much I love Narcisse to rewatching this movie today yeah just just him as a character and shit it's, it's, it's yeah. great um, yeah yeah, uh, who is it? It's um, hang on a second. Yeah, Hugh Ross plays Narcissus. Yeah, he's, he's he's from he's like Scottish or something. Yeah, he's funny as shit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right, so are we out here? Yeah. yeah so Boone wakes up next to Narcissus. Narcissus is talking about going back to Midian. Yeah, just Decker shows up with the authorities, and then Boone escapes. So Decker then goes into Narcisse's room to help him, but asks for privacy and enters with his briefcase. You know what that means. Boone drives to the cemetery gates we saw in the opening. It's nighttime. He enters and sleeps by a tombstone as the sun sets. And then he wakes up to a dog leaking him, and then he scares it away. It's now night in the cemetery. Uh, wait. Yeah, the the, the the time in this movie—it's—it's—it's um, it's, it's all over the place. But here's, is, here's what we're getting at: is the cemetery is about to be revealed as fucking Midian. So here's here's and my that's beef. At night. Right here's my beef with with this whole thing. You know, yeah, preach. Think, Let's talk about that. The, 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 basically. <laughs> Everybody from the beginning thinks Boone's crazy. The fucking cops think he's a killer. And, you know, Decker thinks he's just out of his gourd for talking about this Midian place. Meanwhile, Midian's apparently like an hour north of town. It's like literally 90 kilometers outside of Calgary. And boom. Here's a, Nobody's got a fucking Rand McNally road atlas around there. Nobody else has ever fucking heard of Midian. There's not that far away. He made the drive in an afternoon. 
you know it's like us driving from here to cumberland if i were to say i keep dreaming of this town of cumberland you'd be like you're out of your mind dude cumberland doesn't exist you and i could drive but you could pick me up at 11 and we can make it to cumberland in time for fucking lunch you know what i mean so yeah, that's you're right I'm <laughs> it's what I love about Midian. The mystique is great, but the fact that it's just like literally just outside the city limits and all it is is a circular graveyard that magically nobody but Boone and Narcisse have ever heard of. And well, I mean, Calgary. why stop there? I'll, I'll add to it. So not only that, but the closer you get to the town, the more people that know about it. Right, so, exactly. And none of these people ever had to go into Calgary for any reason. We got this old janky mechanic who has Christmas lights up around his shack. That yeah, and he's, like, he's got like, random keys like, attached to his jumpsuit. Just fucking weird, dude. And he wants to even be... We'll get more into this scene with the guy we're talking about right now, but like, he knows it so fucking much that he wants to be a part of it. So then there's the police force that we fucking run into the second half of the film and Igerman, the fucking the, the lead sh- uh, the, the, the police chief or whatever he knows about Minnie because he's like Minnie is my jurisdiction I'm like okay what the fuck how come like what's going on here because you're exactly right yeah, like the Calgary police force couldn't just phone up the sheer you know the, the, the little you know police the small force in sheer neck and find out that oh yeah, Minnie no, yeah, is right up here. It's a little round graveyard. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? it's all a tuck. Okay, so okay, so now it's nighttime in the cemetery, and Boone has an encounter with some of the creatures. He's held by Kinski and his moon-shaped head. Boone claims <laughs> that he's killed people and accuses he's being accused of being a lie. That, He's accused of being lied to by Decker, uh, by this guy named Peliquin. And he's Peliquin's got like these like kind of like predator-esque, like what do you want to call these things that he's got? It's, it's they're head. they're almost like fleshy dreadlocks, if like, you will. Or, or, or like tentacles, or like, yeah, uh, like yeah, dreadlocks. You, they're, they're not quite quills because you do have like a fully covered quill woman towards the end. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're they're they are they're 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 like you know fleshy dreadlocks that you know have the ability to move like you know tentacles. Well, when he shakes his head, apparently they multiply and he gets even more angrier. So yeah. Peliquin's the one who eventually bites Boone after a chase ensues when he changes. Uh, meanwhile, yeah, bites him in the shoulder and gnarly bite. Meanwhile, we see some activity happening underground, <clears throat> and Boone escapes the graveyard, but it's only he's he's encountered by a squad of police officers who's led by Decker. Um, and so Decker stop he goes over to Boone he says he wants to just talk to him about everything he tells him he wants to it's like and every and everybody just trusts Dr. Philip Decker incessantly just he's just like the, the, literally the entire you know police for the sheriff's department mounties whatever they are are there lined up guns drawn and Decker just looks at the one plain you know the plain clothes cop in charge like I don't know how to talk to him and he just and the cops are like so let Dr. Decker Decker talk to Boone he must know what he's talking about. He's in a Brooks Brothers suit with some tortoise shell glasses and a forty-five dollar haircut. He's got to be legit. You know what I mean? He's, I mean, hey, he, like the he's, cops, he's, even the cops answer to Decker like he's the fucking Doctor Loomis. He's got the doctor next to his name. You got that? <laughs> Everyone fucking listens to you and bows down. Loomis, Decker, come on now. <laughs> I, I guess it's all about that dr. Right. So. <clears throat> 
he saw he, he pretty much approaches him and just almost right away is like he's got a gun and just like dives out of the way and like these cops unfucking load on Boone like they fucking shoot the shit out of him. Freeze! Aaron Boone, you under arrest. Boone, listen to him. It's no use. Stay back. Inspector, I know how to talk to him. Boone, it's going to be okay. They know everything now. I've explained everything to them. They're not going to hurt you. I didn't do it. I didn't hurt anyone. Of course you didn't. Can you believe me? I believe you. He's got a gun! No! Open fire! There's no way he's walking away. Like they, they unload probably easily 15 rounds between shotgun shells and you know handgun rounds yeah, into in, in the boot. Like he's blasted to shit. He's got a one-way ticket to the morgue, and that's where yes. we see him next. He's fucking on a gurney, uh, but due to Pelican's bite, he returns to life in the morgue, and then. Lori is interrogated by Detective Joyce and Decker. She's asked where he died, and Decker tells her she asked where he died, and Decker tells her it was a place called Midian. So Lori has a vision. Uh, of some place he made up. We never heard of it because we we, yeah. we 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 never we never go more than more than forty five miles north of town. But apparently, your boyfriend likes to go to some place called Midian. We don't know what he's talking about. So Lori has a vision of Boone back at home. Meanwhile, we see Decker's at a table with various knives. This Listen. is a cool shot, dude. This yeah. is one of my best favorite shots. That he's like said, it's a long shot that slowly zooms like table length up into David like Cronenberg. Right. It's like he's at a banquet table and he's got all this fucking huge spread of nothing but these gnarly murder, murderous, just fucking different kinds of you know shiny, sharp knives. It's a cool shot, and the camera slowly. Hands into panning back, and then it's listen. They're listening to a um, recording of Boone telling Decker about Midian, where he lives forever. Uh, meanwhile, we see Lori driving through the country towards where we assume is Midian. So she goes to a local country bar. She meets Cheryl Ann. So they all magically head in the right direction. They yeah, just all yeah. happen to leave town and head. They just have, or maybe there's only one way in and one way out of Calgary. Yeah, and Midian know just happens where to it be is. <laughs> Everyone knows where Midian is. Come on now. It's it's, it's on the map. So Lori, yeah, Cheryl Ann, uh, while asking around for Midian, Lori cries to her about a man who left her and then offers Cheryl a drink, saying she needs one herself. Then Lori mentions some sick fuck took off with Boone's body. <laughs> I love how she puts this. It's like, yeah, some guy just came over, took the body and dipped out. Um so yeah, Cheryl then offers to go with Lori to check out Midian, and after Lori leaves to go back to her room, Cheryl is given a drink from the bartender from a man at the bar, eventually revealed to be Decker himself, who was following Lori. When Boone returns to Midian, he finds Narcisse there and is inducted into the society by the Nightbreed's leader, Lylesburg. Alright, now here we go. Yeah. Doug Bradley. Douglas Bradley. Yes, he had himself. Yeah. Now, the here's the thing. Ever meet. 
Yeah, he's a nice dude. Great dude. Smokes a lot. Like every time I go out to smoke, there was a little Doug. And Doug's short too. He's like he's like was like maybe five foot four, five foot five. Yeah. Yeah. Not a very tall dude. I'm six two and he was, you know, almost a good foot shorter than me. But nice dude. Yeah, Ed's right. He's a really nice guy. Met him several times. Uh but here's my beef with this character. Um you're in Midian, the town of monsters, okay, and you've got, you know, characters like, you know, Narcisse and Peliquin, you know, Baphomet, and then you've got Hensky, the Speaker of the House is Naka. Yeah, right. But 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 your main like your like I said, your Speaker your of the lawgiver. House lawgiver. The yeah, the of the law is Dirk, Dirk Lylesberg. I mean, come Dirk. on now. It's like Dirk. that joke that's running right now about Dune. We're like, you know, we're in a land of of mentots by the name and, and people that go by the name of Artrades and Harkonnen and Peter DeVries. And then here's Duncan Idaho. What is he, like the intergalactic porn star from 8,000 years from now? Like, <laughs> it's just the one name just doesn't seem to fit the rest of the lore. And that, you know, Duncan Idaho, as cool of a character as he is, really doesn't fit in, you know, with Benny Gesser at, and, um, you know... Uh, just all those, the, the, just the, the the cool language that was that Herbert made up for Dune, like Duncan Idaho sounds like a porn star. Here, yeah. Dirk Lylesberg sounds like a fucking attorney for Midian. <laughs> you know, Lylesberg LLC. You know, I just I don't know. It's my beef with that. It's like everybody else has got a cool ass name and they all got cool features, and he's just Dirk fucking Lylesberg. <laughs> I'm gonna have a boy name him Dirk Lousberg. Dirk Lousberg Snyder. Dirk Lousberg Snyder. That's great. It's gonna be the pimpest name ever. <laughs> your dad and your uncle Sean get it at least, so that's cool. <laughs> so uh Narcisse says nowhere else on earth will take them in. In an induction ceremony, uh initiation ceremony, sorry. Boone is touched by the blood of their deity Baphomet. They're waiting for you. That's Lylesburg, the boss. Who's that girl? Shiva Sassy. Why? I dreamt about her. Who is your advocate? I am. Have you tutored him in the law? Yes, he has. Let the advocate answer. Yes, I have. You understand what you do joining us here. Tonight, you leave the natural world behind. The life you lived will be a dream. I know. The blood of Baphomet knows all truth.
tribes of the moon embrace you. Before the initiation, we hear others mention they dreamed of Boone before. Um, there's this funny bit here where Narcisse tries to light a cigarette, but is yeah, he strikes a match on the wall, and they all look up at him, and he's like, "Oh, sorry." He he, he mouths the word "sorry," and then after the 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 whole thing happens, he like gives him like this this. The, the okay song of his hand like you did good you did real good you're gonna be right. just swell right um so the yeah, next Narcisse morning is really your comic relief in the land of he monsters is, he is he is he's your comic relief slash sidekick the boon throughout except for a couple of moments that make me question what the hell they were doing with him in the script writing phase and how the fuck some of these incidents that we'll talk about later on make it into the f- fucking final cut so the next morning um, Cheryl, uh, the the woman that Lori meets the at the bar earlier, she has this egg drink concoction for breakfast. Um, please tell me that wasn't an egg and vodka. Um, well, it's it's so alcoholics do it, but it's usually with a draft beer to like they'll, they'll yeah. I, so I'm, I'm familiar with the beer and shit, but like right, she's, but she's yeah, hard. she's. She's doing it with what looks to me. I didn't take it to be vodka. I think she was doing it with a little bit of like fucking, I don't know. No, no, no. I think it was like, I I think it was some whiskey or something or dark, some sort of dark liquor. But she's got two eggs in it. But the thing is, is like, it's obviously something because the waiter brings it over to her and she like kind of makes a face at it and looks back up at him like, bet you ordered this. You know what I mean? I get it. It is. It's a full hangover drink. And I asked Mandy about that because I drink a hell of a lot, but I've never had a hangover to the point where I need to fucking throw a raw egg in a beer. But and she made a good point. Like, you, you, you drink it down like that, you're basically taking the beer right to the head. So you kind of get a quick buzz on, and then you get the protein from the egg. And I'm like, okay, so okay, it's kind of filling in the gaps from you drinking your fucking liver shitty the night before. Well, that's what they all did before they went to work at the port in season two of The Wire. Yeah, the exactly. Bar. Exactly. That was, And that's pretty much what it what it does. It's like the, the, the protein that gets your blood pumping. It's a man's way. It really is. You see Paul Newman do it at the very beginning of the verdict the film opens up he's like playing fucking pinball in the, at seven in the morning this you know shitty rundown little pub you know drinking a draft beer and he grabs another one with a with an egg and it heads right into court you know so it's a thing i've just never seen it done with liquor like that before <laughs> i know liquor. i was like oh man this bitch don't fuck around no so yeah, she flaunts over this mystery man saying his name is Curtis and he's an investment banker and he's she's meeting him again that night. So uh then we cut to uh back the cemetery gates at Midian, the ladies get there, Cheryl tells Lori to go ahead and she'll stay behind and court mysterious place something else. For for a mysterious place, man, it's pretty easy for common folk to just find without having to ask too much or buy a road atlas. Yeah, I'm surprised they don't do Midian tours during the day. <laughs> so Lori enters the cemetery while Cheryl stays behind in the car. Cheryl is then seen smoking under a tree when Decker pulls up. 
Much to Curl's surprise. Curtis, what are you doing here? So the film cuts back to Lori. She's exploring the cemetery some more. She finds this cat-like creature laying outside. And it looks like it's just kind of like lethargic, not doing anything. Then we hear this woman begging Lori to bring her to her. Lori eventually does so, but is hesitant when she hears sounds from the stairwell next to her. And when she brings it in, the creature turns back into a little girl. This is the little girl named Rachel. So for helping her daughter, she tells Lori she knows why she's here. So Lori asks about Boone, but is rebuffed by Lylesburg and scared off by Peliquin. And she runs out of the cemetery. He chases her off, and she discovers Shirley Ann's corpse and uh, her killer, Decker, who unmasks himself to reveal his true identity to her. He uh, attempts to use Lori to draw Boone out of hiding, chases her around uh, back into the cemetery. Um, and we got Boone downstairs. Yeah, he's like yelling. He knows what's going on, but he knows he can't leave. Uh, the, eventually, he just says, fuck it, and goes up after her against Lausberg's demands. And then Decker learns Boone cannot be killed due to his transformation with the help from Narcisse. So Decker escapes, and Boone takes Lori into Midian. Finding Narcisse on top of her. See, this is one of the moments here. So he comes, he chases off Decker, and then he comes back. And Narcisse, who's been with her the whole time, and, and Boone knew that, he comes back to find Boone on top of her. Like, he's like saying he, he wouldn't hurt her, but rather just he wanted to keep her warm. Like, look like he was about to fucking rape her or do something to her. It was just, it's yeah, really gee, I picked that, I picked that up myself too. It's really out of character for, uh, um, for, um, oh my God, I'm having a brain fart here for some reason. What the fuck's his name? Narcisse. 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 Jesus Christ. All right. Snap out of it, Ed. Yeah. It's a really off moment for Narcisse as a character. And I'm like, what, what are they doing with this? What, what are they? Was this like supposed to like? Hint yeah, it was kind of brought up. It, it was it was like brought up and then immediately dropped. Um, now, yeah. one thing I think we 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 got a little bit past because you know she uh, Lori does get down and gets in there, you know, looking for fucking Boone. Or it's when you when you get to that yeah. one hour mark. Yeah. Literally at the exact halfway mark at a runtime. That's when I made a note that like the meat of your cabal cut kicks in because you did not see Midian in this detail. I must have seen that theatrical cut probably twenty plus times before I'd seen this. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so this is like now I know why I felt like something was missing when I left the table. Now after seeing this cut, I'm like, mm, now I am fully you know, I'm 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 fully satisfied. It goes it goes a lot deeper. In Intimidian, yeah. and you don't see Baphomet in the, in the theatrical cut. Baphomet is True. only in the Cabal cut. You don't see True. the great Baphomet. He's only this like legend who's heard of and uh, right. spoken about. You, you may see, see like him. the drawing on the wall or, or even it. like that an image it. of a statue, but right. you don't see you you don't see that thing speak and 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 name. You don't see you don't that see. great effect work. You know I, yeah. why the fuck did they cut Baphomet out of the fucking theatrical version? Why? I'm getting angry thinking about this after yeah, watching man. this fucking version. Yeah, yeah 20th seriously. Century Fox, they were, they were a bunch of chicken shits. They didn't know what to do with this film. Uh, it wasn't oh. all of them. Morgan Creek played a hand in this bullshit, well, true. Too. Yeah, yeah, I forgot. I forgot Morgan Creek was involved, too. So, um... Okay, so... 
Lylesburg eventually banishes Boone and Lloyd from Midian after we get our first glimpse of Baphomet. And this is actually the first part, first time we see Baphomet, ironically enough. So Decker learns of Midian. Okay, so this is the old the old uh, mechanic scene. He goes in. Uh, Decker, like this old man, like this old hermit esque guy who was like it's like. A junkyard, a garage, or something. He's got he's basically, his, he's, his shack, he's, his Christmas lights all over the place. He's your typical harbinger. Yes, he definitely is. Go, he's go, your go, harbinger. Go, he's go. Ralph from Friday the Thirteenth. He's the drunk lane in the in in the tires in the beginning of Texas Chainsaw. He's um you know the gas station attendant in the beginning of Both Your Hills Have Eyes movies. That's what this guy is. He's your harbinger because he allows Decker to use his phone. And right. this is when he learns of Midian from you know, he tells him about and then the guy comes back, he lets him go. Decker leaves, I mean, and then the old man he locks up or whatever, but then Decker comes back with the mask on and attacks him and ties him up. And this is where he basically learns all about Midian from this guy. A lot of exposition dialogue going on here. Plus the well not really it's kind of like a t- Twist almost the guy he turns out is almost like a follower and he wants to go to Midian and be one of them. He's kind of like uh the character Ashbury later on in the movie, how he wants to become one of it. Seems like this guy's like grand journey is like led him to Midian and he's so close and just he wants to be you know one of them because like the way he's talking, you know. I told you everything I know, no, no, the monsters. Nightbreed? Can they die? What harm they ever done to you? Can they die? Yeah. How? Well, there there are all kinds of breed. Uh, All kinds of ways to kill them. Uh, uh, Bullets for some and and, uh, fire for others. Why is it that you know so much about them? Uh, I, I wanted to be one of them. If they kick you out, is that why you hate them so much? (laughs) I'm not one of them. I'm here to destroy them. See, I've cleaned up a lot of breeders. Families like cesspools. Filth making filth making filth. And I did it over and over and over again. But it was all leading me here. I was born to destroy Boone and the breed together. You're crazy. No, I'm death. Plain and simple. Say it! Well, this, this, this part to me speaks to another problem I have with as iconic as, as his, as his, you know, killer look is and, you know, on screen and just as a badass costume in general. I would love to cosplay it at one point. Um, for a guy with a PhD, Deckard's not that fucking bright because he's already been to Midian once and he ain't figured out that the circular graveyard with the M on the gate is Midian. It's not a fucking town anywhere nearby. You fucking dipshit. You you, you, you went to school for 20 fucking years. Well, you can't, you, you can't put that together. Busy. He was too busy chasing Laurie around to uh and, and just what but he was but he was also he's been there twice now. He's been there fucking twice now. 
you know, but it doesn't dawn on him that that's all there is. The city of Midian is just that. Do you think you would have passed it in one way, shape, or form the two times you came out to the goddamn graveyard, you fucking dipshit? Go stab something. Well, he does. Sorry. End of rant. All right. <laughs> so, Rachel, the little girl that Lori saved earlier, she explains to her that the monsters of folklore were peaceful beings who were hunted to near extinction by humans. Uh, this is where we get shots of a former Midian before the transformation. And uh, Lori looks for Boone, and we get a montage of various monsters who live underground in Midian. This is where we're introduced to, like, everyone. And we oh, see this. Yeah, this, this is where is... a lot of the cabal cut comes in. Because and they, they, they still use people. some, yeah, they, they still use some of some of the old school, like stop motion, claymation effects for some of the, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. some of the things. And they, you know, they, they tighten up pretty well. Um, you know, and you, yeah, you just see it's like, like, like Lori's just slowly moving down. Like it's almost like a downward spiral into the the bowels of the city that is Midian, and the deeper you go, the more fucked up its inhabitants get. You know, one dude where his head, you know, he's like six feet tall, but his head's down on his belly. You know, you got the yeah. one guy who's like, you know, cutting his finger to feed the fucking eels in a bowl, and his little, you know, blue horn face you know, flunky with him and like I'm sure everybody gets a fucking name in a backstory. The, the creature with the fan who pulls the fan down and the, the lower half of the face is all like skinless and shit. Oh yeah, yeah. She's like she, you boom. And yeah, she says you're looking for boom and she pulls the thing down. Yeah, like yeah, the whole bottom yeah. part of her face is gone. Yeah. You know, I think so that's the good. first time you get the you know the porcupine looking lady. You know, yeah. you got some random Rastafarian dude just sitting there playing solitaire, but for some reason he kind of looks like he belongs anyway. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. You know? <laughs> it's just but it's and it's like the shit that fucking nightmares are made of, man. And you get deep in there. And she's just and meanwhile you got Lori browsing coming through like a fucking Calvin Klein sweater and some mom jeans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, totally not looking the part. You know, but right. yeah, this is some of the <sighs> best shit. Was like, dude, like it's so good. It's like you're literally in it, and like you're you're you 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 dig in, and you're late. You really you're at the halfway point when you get the Midian, and in that theatrical cut, by the time you got the Midian, you had like maybe eighteen fucking minutes left, and you were still left scratching your head. So to get to when I first watched it, and I paused, I'm like, oh my god, I'm only halfway there. We're gonna be here for a while. Fuck yes, let me see what you have for me, Clive. And it was everything I ever hoped for. So lawyer. Um Eventually runs into Pelican, who offers to transform her as well, but she refuses. So then we cut back to Decker, who's telling Detective Joyce that Boone is still alive and is killing again. So we're then introduced to Captain uh, Police Captain Igerman, who says Midian is under his jurisdiction. So no, Igerman's played. Uh, Igerman's played by Charles Hade, um, who's the director. I'm sorry. He's a famous director now. Uh, hate is, I, you know, I, 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 I knew he'd done some TV work. If he did anything theatrically, I, you know, I, I'm unaware of, but I mean, his, it, many people remember him because he was one of the main characters on uh, Hill Street Blues, which at the time when that show was on in the early eighties, that was like the, the greatest realist cop show. Like you had never seen before. And like, you just couldn't escape it. But I always remember him because he, he, he's, um, from from altered states 
with William Hurt. He's a dean's of one of the school that like like gives him access to the sensory deprivation tanks and shit. Um, but yeah, was he directing anything theatrically? I didn't know that he. I knew he did some TV stuff. Not theatrically, but he's famous in the TV world because he's yeah. doing a lot of stuff. Like he did an episode of Breaking Bad. I was going to say I thought he did Breaking Bad. He works on like you know big budget series, like major major you know TV criminal minds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good for him. Oh, he's still man. getting work, man. For some reason, I always thought he showed up for a minute in the beginning of um, uh, My Bloody Valentine, but it's a guy that just looks a lot like him, but it's it, it's not him. Right, I right. swear, I thought he was the, he's right. the one foreman in the beginning of My Bloody Valentine when they all got off work in the mine. I always right, think right, it's... Right. And when you watch it, like, tell me next time you watch the Malka cut, you only see the dude for a couple minutes in the beginning. Tell me if you don't remind you of Charles Hayden. All right, so Police Captain Igerman, who says that Midian is under his jurisdiction. So Decker tells them about the underground, but they don't buy it. So we get more of Lori exploring when she runs into Narcisse, who says Boone is down below, which is where she goes to search for him. And she's eventually grabbed by a berserker monster, but is eventually let go. This is our first glimpse of the berserkers who live deep down in the, well, in, in the catacombs of, of uh, Midian, but are pretty much held captive. They're, they're not to be released because they are just super fucking creatures who just tear shit apart and they just yeah, like like we said gang the deeper you go into the bowels of Midian it's like going you know deeper and deeper into the bad city you know Absolutely. and you just you start getting like the bad part of town or the deeper you go and then they got then they got these berserkers like these things are too crazy for monster city so the monsters fucking lock them up I'll tell you yeah. a little bit you need to know about the berserkers man yeah, so she's eventually let go, and then taken. And they get a little more screen time in this, if I'm not if, if I'm not mistaken. A little bit, but they were in a theatrical cup, pretty much. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But there's there, there's I think there's a few extra seconds giving you more time to soak them in. So she's taken down below. <laughs> Boone, uh, Boone's down there with uh, Baphomet. The two embrace and leave together, and then we get we cut to this hotel where Lori's staying. Uh, and there's this uh, woman who's working at the front desk, and she's eating this sandwich. And is it a sandwich? Off. Like at first, it looks like a pastry, and then when she drops it on the floor, I'm thinking, well, maybe it's a bagel with lots of green cheese. Yeah, it's something. It's, weird. It's eating something, but she picks it up like she takes forever picking it up, but she's just getting little handfuls of it. You know, she's like, like scooping some off the, the ground. I think some of it. It. Yeah, it's, like eating what didn't touch the floor. She's still eating it. You know, yeah, it's fun. and then like she's down picking at that shit, and then we hear someone come up, and she thinks it's the uh, the clerk Arnie who works there. She looks up, and there we see Arnie's head. Um, and then that's <clears throat> Decker, it's obviously from the because she just sees a pair of like nice dress slacks and you know, shoes, and thinks it's Arnie comes up, and it's and it's Arnie's head's just sitting on the fucking countertop. And as she backs away in terror, here comes Decker from the back office, like just comes up behind her and just 86 yep. or stabs her right in the, I think in the chest, right? I think so. So Boone immediately smells blood once they return together. Uh, meanwhile, outside Decker's there and he phones the police to inform them of Lori and Boone's arrival. So this is when we see the death room next door that uh, Decker created with the bodies of the occupants next to Lori's room. Um, then the SWAT team arrives and Boone changes into his demonic form 
he licks some of the blood from one of the bodies and then looks at himself in the bathroom mirror and then from that point changes back to his human form as the SWAT team come in and they eventually take him away. So cut to the police station and we got Igerman giving Boone something that he'll remember him by and beats him around as the other cops laugh and taunt Boone. There's also this fucking drunk priest who's in the drunk tank or something whose name's Ashbury, who I mentioned earlier, yeah. who's just there. Um, really, really. Well, he's got a purpose, but at first you're like, yeah, yeah, what's yeah, this guy does. doing here? Exactly. We just think it's just this fucking town drunk who happens to be a priest. So Igerman ignores Decker's warning about Boone and Midian and is convinced by Joyce to um, let his men go to Midian while he attends a press conference. So we got. A doctor checking on Boone, but he has no pulse. The man is dead. And we, then we cut to the press conference scene when the cop from the last scene enters and tells Igerman about Boone being dead. Igerman then lashes out at Decker about this and at the cemetery. Well, he's yeah, and, and Igerman is like it's right before right before the news gets gets delivered to Igerman. One of the reporters asks him about like, well, this is the same Aaron Boone that was shot outside of the cemetery fifteen times yesterday, uh, last night, right? And Igerman's like completely dumbfounded, like he didn't hear about the fucking, you know, the yeah, these right. Calgary cops just blowing the shit out of dude, some dude, and the cemetery in his jurisdiction. But it's you his know? jurisdiction, and then, right? And, right, and then because Midian's in his jurisdiction, and then immediately as, as he's trying to process that thought is when his little deputy comes in and whispers to him about about Boone not having a pulse and to like Igerman just yeah. you know, hurriedly excuses himself from the press conference. And like I made two notes of like the Canadian police force is is more violent than I expected them to be. Because yeah, <laughs> he's beat right. the shit out of out of <laughs> suspects before they're even charged. Yeah. And they're also pretty fucking inept at their goddamn jobs. Yeah, because they're like kind of like old <clears throat> western town mentality yeah, it's a small town and i get it it's how it's written so like no offense to anybody in canada or anybody in law enforcement but just like these guys are they're written like the canadian keystone cops just with a violent bent to them like they're Pretty all much. hopped up on on fucking on, on seagrams and moosehead you know and they've all kind of like got that mob mentality that you've been talking well, about. Well, that, that happens just in just a minute. Yeah, they, they it's like I made a note here. Fucking literally my next note once because once let's face it, once Igerman finds this shit out, like it's like and and Boone gets, you know, Boone gets out of fucking prison, goes back to jail, goes back to fucking medium. They go they, they go to the armory and there's this cop who's just like in charge of the armory. He's getting off on like all of these weapons he's handing out. You know, he's got like fucking submachine guns and shit and like you know Igerman takes a shotgun that's got one of those like 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 it's a drum feeder shotgun the kind you carry around in a video game that like holds 75 rounds mm. you know and they're handing them out to the fucking townsfolk and I made a note that says share that turns vigilante mob quicker than Haddonfield on Halloween <laughs> So before that, though, at the cemetery, Joyce and other officers investigate the place, and they suspect that they're uh, living underground before finding Annika uh, and taking him outside. Annika, okay, so Annika is, we see him a lot in this, but he doesn't really have much going, uh, t- there's, not, there's nothing much to him. He's played by Simon Bamford, who was uh, Butterball in Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2. 
and he's just a tattooed guy who kind of like makes these like mysterious faces and little, little, like lingers around. Doesn't really do much. Um, he's almost, almost, yeah, he, he almost kind of feel like they keep him around as a pet because he's kind of like gimpish to an extent. Has and he's basically play, he basically plays him as a mute. You know, he's yeah, got that little French. You know, he's got the he's got that little you know um, Boston Terrier dog of his. You know, but man, he's got you know body piercings and stuff. But yeah, that's that's just what he is. He's almost like the pet of Midian. Yeah, so they take him outside where he's beaten and then he, he burns up from the sun before exploding. So when they return to their cars, it's revealed that Narcisse had them blown up. That's a pretty funny moment here. Um, Igerman, th- then we're cut to you know, what you were just talking about briefly. So Igerman, he's preparing to bring an army to Midian and forces the drunk priest Ashbury to come along with them so God can be on their side. I thought that was a pretty funny tone. Um, yeah, he tells him to go back to his church and get all the crosses and whatever he thinks he's going to need. Yeah, like, he just yeah. lets him go. Tells him <laughs> right. to meet us at Midian with all your crosses, Reverend Ashbury. And yeah, and, and but did you did you get like just this little perverted look of joy on the armor? face as he's just you know going over to like describing well, the weapons i was getting to that so like he, he he assembles all the police and local townspeople to lead this mob to midian and this cop that you were just talking about he loves garrots all too much yeah, like he's, he's fucking like, like licking that shit he's got it yeah, all over his like, lips yeah, he's like there's nothing wrong or getting nice up close and personal with a nice garage. You know? Yeah, he fucking loves garage. <laughs> this fucking gets weird with it all of a sudden. He's like putting over his lips and shit. And I'm like, right? oh man. So Rachel and Narcisse pick Lori up from the station and tell her that they need. Okay, backtrack. Rachel's not the little girl. Rachel is the little girl's mother. I, I yeah, I little girl's Babette. Yeah, yeah. Ra- yes, Ra- Rachel you. is like the Egyptian kind of woman, um, and Babette's the the young girl. But yeah, and, and the, the the way that they got out of Midian is they basically blackened out the windows of this yes. like this, yes. this is like old school, I guess, like Studebaker or whatever. And like Narcisse, vampires. sunlight kills them, right? Pretty much, and and and, and Narcisse. Right, and Narcisse has got like his Ray Bans on with with his 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 little Stetson and shit, but yeah, he still yeah. got his fucked up like only a face face. Yep, <laughs> so yep. He's got this wild, you know, look to him, and he's got it. Like his moment to shine comes up in just a minute, right when they get to the police station. Right, they pick Lori up from the station and tell her that they need Boone back since he uh, talked to Baphomet and survived. Then the three break into the station for Boone. I love a coward. I love that fucking line from from Narcisse. I love a coward. I love a coward. <laughs> he um, beats some. He kicks fucking ass in this scene, dude. Yeah, he's he quite. He just beats the shit out of that cop in this scene. He's, he's having a good old time with it with his little fucking straw cowboy hat on. He's funny as shit. And we finally <laughs> see Rachel's power. So she gets to the cell room via smoke. So like yep. she can disappear and reappear under a smoke cloud. So she comes out of the cloud into the cell room. She's naked, and she gives the cop inside a smoking kiss of death. Naughty, <laughs> naughty, as Narcy says. Uh, Boone is eventually rescued and broken out of jail so they can return to Midian and help everybody there. 
the police and townspeople then arrive and they set up trip wires at all the escape routes before being warned by Ashbury that this is a mistake and that they're on holy ground. So Eigerman really quick dismisses him and tells him to get to the get get uh, get the fuck out of here before knocking him down physically. Um, Narcisse and company return with Boone after, uh, while we see Decker. He's out front. Uh, with, it's just him and Detective Joyce. Uh, Decker kills Joyce after showing him his mask. Yeah, he just can't help himself, man. He just yeah, he's, he's addicted sur- to it. Surrounded by cops, and he's killing other cops. You know, yeah, like knowing that knowing that their attention's elsewhere. Yeah, this know? is a death I was surprised to see from Decker of all people. I mean, I figured you know Joyce would get his from like, one of the the monsters from Midian, but no, nah, man, Decker kills him before he even steps foot in the cemetery. Yeah, yeah. So the cemetery gates, uh, they close, and dynamite is set off, beginning the attack at Midian. Looks like the millennium just ended. Uh, a driver in the truck tries killing Peliquin, but he ducks, and the, tr- the truck dri- dives into a ditch down into Midian's underground. I bring this up because it's pretty much a plot point here. This is like the first bit of action that actually goes down into Midian and s- stirs a ruckus. So Boone delivers... Um, a speech to everyone, including Lousberg, and prepares them to fight so they can move uh, along with Baphomet. They, they, they need to, you know, retreat, go somewhere new. They can't stay here. Uh, they've more or less been exposed. So Laurie is chased by a mass decker as Boone continues preparing himself for battle, telling everyone to arm themselves as they approach the outside. If you can't do it for yourselves, do it for your children. Yeah, and he's so, like, you know, he's tearing like lids off of off of you know coffins and stuff so they can break right, them down right. into weapons. He takes a shotgun off of one dude and tries to get into the catacombs and shit. You know, and at this point, he's got his you know, for lack of a better term, his cabal look on with the you know where his cheeks are kind of pointed out. And he's got the yeah, he changes you know, right. Yeah, he, and it's, it's not it's not a real drastic change. You still see handsome Craig Sheffer on there which mm-hmm. i think obviously was done on purpose he's kind yeah, of he's yeah, yeah. got a cool look to him but he's not like a like a hairy scary monster he's just got like these crazy misshapen eyes and fucking tattoos on his face and shit you know i just thought it was cool yeah it is so narcisse directs glory inside but she ends up falling through the ground into midian where it's currently riddled with flames and gunfire uh, we see townspeople and police massacred. Uh, Ashbury pleads with Eigerman to stop, but is nearly executed before Boone saves him, saying, we don't fight priests here. Ashbury wants Boone to take him with him. So Ashbury is fucking dead set on just losing his religion, essentially. No pun intended. There's something tells you, getting, you get around the, you know, the one, you, you get around the monsters of Midian and all of a sudden, you know, everything that you've been taught obsessed. to believe is right. Is you know, what everything you've known is true is no longer true. So I can get it. You're like, well, shit, man, let me live with these people and figure out what's really fucking going on. Cause obviously I've had no idea all this time. So I can see why it may turn some people. <laughs> So then we cut to the porcupine woman who kills some cops with her lust. It's about three cops here at this scene. Yeah, she just like yeah, she turns them over and she starts shooting her quills at them and shit. Right, right, right. Like the the quills are like on the one cop's back and he's like reaching for his bat to pull him out but can't get to him. So um, one yeah, cop takes like I, four I like up it. and a face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. I love the makeup effects on this. I, I it I really is. Man, it's all enough. practical. Everything in here is, is 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 if it's not practical, it's like stop motion, claymation, you know, old school Jason and Argonauts type shit, man. You know, 
so fucking can't speak enough on the Midian cut, baby, for real. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, Boone argues with Lausberg to release the Berserkers, a monstrous feral breed that were imprisoned due to their insanity. Um, that was the definition I have of what they actually are in my notes. So when Lausberg is killed, uh, yeah, Lausberg, he, he gets killed by a cop. He gets shot in the head before he can open up the cages. So Boone releases them himself, and the Berserkers turn the tide of battle, destroying and ripping apart everyone they encounter. So he, Boone does it for them. And they just, like I mentioned earlier, they just go to fucking work right away. Um, yeah, and these things get, are big, like scary fucking yeah, monsters. They're huge, man. Right, right. They're right, huge yeah. and they're terrifying. Uh, we get a flamethrower cop who gets killed before Peliquin is then claiming to Lori that Boone is his since he bit him. Um, and then Boone and Decker, they fight to the ground below and eventually. Um, so Boone kills Decker here. Boone, Decker stabs through Boone with a sword uh, or a large knife, and it's a large knife in it. But you know, yeah, it's it's basically it's still, it's still in him. And then he just takes Decker and kind of like hugs him, pulls him in towards it, stabbing him in the process. One last dance. Yeah, because you say, yeah, like Decker stabs stabs him through the abdomen, but from the back, so the blade is sticking out the front. Right. You right. know, and then Decker falls down a level, and then that's when, you know, Boone comes down, and he pulls him in for Now, meanwhile, one thing I caught is like Decker's got his killer mask on, right? But, and right when Boone hugs him, the camera like switches to like a behind the, the behind Decker's back type of shot, like almost like they're shooting from down in the pit behind him. He does it, and you you can tell there's no mask on because you can see the you can see all the you can see his hair and then it cuts back to the close he takes it off no 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 no. he's no it's it's before right before he takes it off it's just before so like right before boone takes decker's mask off and throws him over the pit right the camera cuts behind decker and the mask is already off then it cuts back up and then boone takes it off and tosses him down the pit minor thing i just caught that today and i'm like oh wait a minute i cued it back i'm like son of a bitch you know, there's no mask there Look but you yeah, point I, out continuity errors yeah i'm just i just happen to notice that. i'm normally not one to like sit there you know pinpoint shit like right, that right, but right, I, right. I, 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 I picked it. it up i'm like damn okay so um, this is before uh this is before one last dance and he throws yep. him off yep yep so Lori pulls the sword out of Boone, and the two go to Pafame, where others are also huddling around. And he uh, tells, this is when Baphomet speaks. He tells Boone that he destroyed them but must rebuild. He says, find him, heal him, save him from his enemies. He is no longer Boone. He is now, Cabal, now Cabal. The new leader. Yep. So, yeah, it's a, this is a really big scene in this movie that, uh, you know, uh, I can't remember if we see this played out this way at least or even at all in the theatrical i really can't it's been that long since i've seen it for real um, the two then leave as ashbury approaches baphomet and is splashed by his blood that turns him in the process and uh midian explodes from a fiery blaze so to speak um and yeah so like uh we just see this blood get splashed all over his face turns him into this like balding pale creature but not he's not like yeah he's still 
it's it's basically like his, yeah, the, 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 all the hair on top of his head is gone. It's like his skull's been elongated towards the back he of has like, He has like random strands of hair here and there on his head. Yeah, yeah, and and his and his temple is like his temples have been enlarged and like they're protruding a little bit. Yeah, you know, okay. but he still kind of looks human. But he's basically what you would expect a priest to look like in the town of Midian. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, um, forgot to mention earlier that. Uh, Narcisse is killed in a battle. Decker kills Narcisse. Yeah, he comes out with Narcisse's severed head, man. Right, so he's now present during the the subsequent events. The Nightbreed await Boone in a barn um, while Boone says his goodbyes to Lori as he must find the new home for the Nightbreed. Boone promises to return to her um, and, and Boone will retain his youth and, and uh, immortality. Yeah, she she said you'll you'll be the same, and I'll be ninety years old. Yeah, but then in a turn of events, Lori stabs herself. This was like the biggest difference between theatrical and cabal. Lori kills herself in this. This all this stuff. She wants to go. Yeah, she's wanted to go with him. You know, she asked him to turn her, and he said he won't. You know, and he says his goodbye. And as he's turning to leave, she basically got stabbed herself in the gut, leaving him no choice. He resurrects her as as the nightbreed. Right, but then he, you know, there's a, there's a split second, there's a, almost a moment there where you know he questions, he's like, please tell me it's not too late, because the sun's kind of just starting to come up over the horizon, too. And yes, so yes. It, it's, it's about a beat or two later that she you know, draws her first undead breath, and it's been cutting back and forth between this scene and the night breed in the barn, and that's when little Babette says something about you know, Boone's still not back, and and that's, that's, it's com- that's coming up because after this, um, we see I at first we see Igerman wandering the underground. Oh yeah, remains. yeah, there's Igerman the and Ashby. That's right, I forgot. And he stumbles on the Ashbury, who you know longs for revenge after his burning by Baphomet. And Igerman shares this, desi- this desire, but Ashbury rejects Igerman's offer, kills him, and starts his hunt for the Nightbreed, which. I'm still pissed. Thirty-two years later, we have not seen this long-lost sequel with, uh, you know, Ashbury and his uh, own army after the Nightbreed, which still is that what supposed it can still happen. Is it? Is that? Is that how it was supposed to go? They were supposed to pick oh, up with Ashbury. It is an obvious setup for a sequel, but unfortunately, right. we'll get into that. Never happened. So, um, right. and then yeah, the 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 surviving Nightbreed watch Boone and Lori in the distance beautiful shot by the way like you mentioned the sunrise and whatnot i just love it rachel tells babette that boone will return soon perhaps the next day to lead them to a new haven boone and Lori now appear together as part of a prophecy in a nightbreed painting who will come for us his name is cabal he under me Midian. How soon? On the next wind. If not tonight, then tomorrow. On the next wind. We get the credits, the film ends essentially, but in the Cobalt Cut, 
we have a post-credit scene, which in the theatrical cut plays as the last. In the theatrical cut, this scene I'm about to talk about is the final scene of the film before it goes to the end credits. But in the cabal cut, our version, you see the end credits and stick around at the credits for a stinger. And it's this scene of the resurrection of Decker by um, uh, Ashbury. He, he brings back Decker, who is a uh, corpse is down below um, in, in um, Midian. So... Did you, did you know that? Did you did you watch the? You probably did, but did you? Yeah, but you know what? I, I I forgot I forgot that it wasn't um that it wasn't new to this because like you I haven't looked at that theatrical. You know this this but came do you, out. Do you at least remember it though? The last scene of that movie when resurrect when Ashbury resurrects Decker. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. That's all. That, that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and, and, and and now that you mention it, like these two on the hunt for Nightbreed would have been because it, it, it definitely that definitely would have been. And again, we're not too far out to make it still happen. Um, would uh, be. We, would it, be a, would yeah. Would would be a pretty cool. Um, uh, bent on a sequel, more like a road movie, kind of like what Devil's Rejects did with the, you know, with the Firefly Clan, you know, and it would be like this just cross country hunt with Ashbury and Decker, and then Cabal leading the rest of the monsters as heroes crew. That would be pretty neat, man. That would be. I had no idea such a thing was even being kicked around. That would be fucking cool. I would. I'd be first online for that motherfucker. And that is Nightbreed. Yeah. All right. So how did we get here? Sketch. How did we get here? I led you here, sir. For I am Spartacus. Mm. It originated as a short story by Clyde Barker called Cabal. I guess it was considered yeah, like a novella. He, um... So Barker has always loved monsters and felt that there's a corner of all of us that envies their powers and would love to live forever or to fly or to change shape at all or at will. So when I came, this is, this is all, this is a quote from Clive Barker. So when I claim, when I came to make a movie about monsters, I wanted to create a world we'd feel strangely at home in. Uh, Clive was interested in creating a horror mythology from the ground up and developing characters that will live on in sequels. As he finished writing the novella Cabal, he realized that it would make a good film that he would direct himself. He originally been, he originally the game plan was a trilogy of films. So this was supposed to be the start of two more movies. Um, Nightbreed was the first of a planned three picture deal that Barker had with Morgan Creek, Joe Ross production company that included an adaptation of son of celluloid and a sequel to Nightbreed. The first compromise Barker made was to change the title of the film to Cabal. From Cabal to Nightbreed, because Morgan Creek insisted on a more commercial title and thought that the original one didn't mean anything. He was given a budget of $11 million, which was a considerable increase from the $2 million that he had to work with on Hellraiser. His goal was to make the Star Wars of horror films. The monsters in the book are represented um, impressionalistically over two or three paragraphs, and the challenge Barker faced was to visualize them in much greater detail for the film. So that is how Nightbreed came to be. So let's go over to box office receipts since I kind of just uh, briefly touched upon that. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out 
We put more in. I want receipts. Uh, so Nightbreed was released on February 16th, 1990. It opened up across 1,488 screens. Opening weekend, it came in at number six, bringing in $3.7 million. Second weekend, it dropped down to number seven, bringing in only $1.8 million. All in all, Nightbreed grossed $16 million worldwide on an $11 million budget. So now it's if anything i feel that this movie broke even for for the companies i'm sure it's made a little bit of profit all in all when it's all said and done i mean that's still 30 years you still have a lot of vhs dvd blu-ray sales to incorporate (coughs) merchandising Uh, absolutely i mean i myself own a nightbreed shirt so definitely um merchandising good point and so uh yeah i can see how Trilogy never happened. We never got that long lost sequel, which never say never. But uh, in the meantime, let's go over to the critics' corner and see what them bastards had to say. So currently, Nightbreed has a 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and uh, the. Let me see. Hang on a second. Um, yeah, that's all I have for that. Rotten Tomatoes, 43%. Uh, Entertainment Weekly, they gave the film B and wrote from the film's gothic sets, fantastic makeup, and nightmares plot line, it's clear that Barker owes as much to Poe and Lovecraft as to classic Hollywood screamers like Island of Lost Souls. But Barker's most perverse touch is that he makes these creatures the good guys. No wonder the PR flax were bamboozled. Despite their grotesque appearance, they're more colorful and engaging bunch than the adversaries of the normal world. Barker piles on more subversive subtext than his story can bear. It's a monster movie, after all, but his daft, grand, gnoll vision has real power. The quality that freaked out the studio, Barker's ambition, is precisely what makes Nightbreed so impressive. I like that. Um, And then I got one random quote here. I've never thought about this before, but he the the more I read this quote, the more I'm like, eh, maybe. Uh, so filmmaker Alejandro Jodorowsky, 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 Alejandro, Alejandro Jodorowsky. Thank you. He yeah, he was film. actually the first one tapped. He was he 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 was about to be making. He was about to make a a, a, a version of Frank Herbert's Dune. It was legendary, so legendary they made a documentary about just. What would have been if Yodorowsky would have made it? Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah, he, was quoted, he was quoted calling the film the true, the first truly gay horror fantasy epic, explaining how the un- unconsummated relationship between doctor and patient is, in his view, the central theme. In his view, as the central theme of the movie is this male male doctor patient relationship between Decker and Boone, and. 
he thinks that it's a truly gay horror fantastic epic. I've never thought of it that way, but <laughs> he's got a point. Yeah, I, leave I, it to Yodorowsky to look at it that way. That doesn't surprise yeah. me at all. But but no, honestly, like you know, I I want to you know kind of talk about that for us for a moment because like it, it kind of makes you think about the movie in a different light uh, when you th- when you put it that way, honestly. Um, because the film really does spend a lot of time on that relationship between Boone and Decker. I mean, right off the bat, it wastes no time introducing, you know, that connection that, that the two have. It's very uh, distant, but then as yeah, the Decker, film, yeah, Decker's, Decker's along, almost like a spurned lover. Right, right, exactly. Know? And then by the <laughs> end, it's like, they. I mean, Decker meets his, his end with a hug and Boone saying one last dance. I mean, it makes perfect sense the more and more you think about that. So that's um good stuff, actually. Uh, I, I like that. So um, let's go to biggest takeaways and talk about what you and I thought of this movie more in depth. Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, so I got a, I've got several for this one. Real quick, down, down the, the, the list here. Um, after watching this, I wrote down the following. Cabal Cut is such an improvement. That's number one, first and foremost. Number two, this really is Clive Barker's best work. Uh, it's it's definitely, in my opinion, his strongest script. Um, I love love his little you know uh, playground of, of monsters he can play with. You know that that he he does and and the different designs that we see and stuff. Um, all in all, I think this is his most complete movie. Um, I, I know there's people listening that are probably like, what about Hellraiser? Hellraiser actually, the more and more I watch that film and think about it, it, it really works better as what its literature content is. And that is a short story. I, I, or was it a short story? Was the tell, was the hellbound heart a short story or a, a full I, I think it was classified again, kind of similar to how Cabal was. Like a, they called it like a novella, exactly. Um, it was one of you know, it was it, it wasn't you know a tomb, you know, to get through. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Like you know, Hellraiser would be you know even from you know right out of the gate, if it wasn't apparent, um, you know, by by introducing these brand new monsters you've never seen before, you knew it was coming by the time you got the sequel. But this was now just like a, a franchise machine. You know, whereas Nightbreed is something different. It's always been my favorite Clyde Barker work. Um, and again, like I always touted it as a, a one up to the to the to the Hellraiser fans. Not that I'm not a fan of Hellraiser, but you got those ones that are like Pinhead, Pinhead, and I'm like, fuck you, man, Cabal all day, goddamn long. I'll pin any of my Midian monsters up yeah, against your Resonance of Hell, up against your Cenobites any day in a fucking week. Oh yeah, I've always had, I've always held that point, and I agree with you. I have to agree with you. It is, it is his finest work, his most complete work. Like it's like it's it, you really feel the Clyde Barker coming through on this um, from beginning to end, especially with this cut. 
Yeah, um, and yeah, the fact that he like created like an like you said a playground, like you could do. I actually sat here and thought about like uh, like a spinoff, and I know they did. You know, I, I never saw it, and I don't even know if ever if it ever reached the air. But you know, they were they they didn't they try to make a TV series out of it at one point. Yeah, not that long ago actually, and um, it it, it never really came to fruition, unfortunately. But that yeah, been, so like I I would worked. I would that love to see like me. with. Right, right. Like where it focuses, but it's literally like a, a like a one hour like Walking Dead style, like serious, like fucked up, you know, horror drama uh, set in the land of Midian right. with all these crazy monster characters and character arcs and subplots and shit. I would tune in every fucking Sunday, Tuesday, whatever, man. You know, that would be, you know, there's so much he could play with there because he's got, there's so many questions that could raise like, what the fuck is that guy's name? What the hell does he do? You just see him in the background. The only thing that even comes close to that, because one of my takeaways is going to be, you think they don't, nobody's got the fucking balls to make this kind of movie anymore. They don't. And they didn't even have the balls to, to release it back then. Like, this is a fucking grade A top notch, beautiful original monster movie from the last what 20 years 30 years you know and i just, yeah you're right yeah it's it's it, it 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 really is i would i would love to see that extra fucking 35 minutes that's on that vhs and we even though there's no way to clean that shit up i would love to see what else was on that cutting room floor of young clive barker what was he probably late 20s maybe early 30s when he was making this so he would have been a kid yeah, in the candy store old. yeah he would have been a kid in the candy store like hellraiser was a hit so they practically wrote him a blank check you know and he went and just made his dreamland you know, and talk this, you know, cabal story that he had and just blew it up. I mean, come on, Sci-Fi Channel. Quit dicking around. Stop fucking giving us endless fucking series on Dawn of the Dead and shit, or Day of the Dead and shit like that. Like, fucking nah, do you know what a I'm goddamn seeing? series on Nightbreed. No, I'll do you one better, man. Do it, on a, do it on a premium channel like fucking Prime or HBO. You know, like, that would be a great Max exclusive would be like an actual fucking Midian. Like, you just call the show Midian. Dude, I'll get it. I'll be there every fucking Sunday. You know, it'd be on 9 to 10 o'clock on Sunday nights. Yeah. You know, give it that HBO 9 to 10 Sunday night treatment, man, and just, you know, write that fucking check. Nah, that's succession time slot, baby. Make it uh, yeah, but it, not all year long. Not all year long. You got to have something to fill very that true. gap. Very true. Very I'm, true, not very true. They, I'm not saying they air, you know, they, they don't true. air concurrent, you know? Well, um... And then the last two I have here for my takeaways, uh, uh, big fan Craig Sheffer in this film. Big fan yeah. of him here as Boone. Um, I, I I just think he does a fucking hell of a good job uh, playing the character. Um, he, he's he's believable. He doesn't just come off as just a schmuck. I I, I really do like Craig Sheffer. I I mean that sincerely. Um, and then finally, my last note here is just I love seeing all of Barker's regulars show up. I, I really do. You got all the regulars like uh, Hugh Ross, Doug Bradley, um, uh, Simon uh, Kinford. Uh, I think that's his name. Uh, the, the guy who played Butterball. There's just all the people just come back to play and there's just different characters. And I, I love that, you know, bond that he has with some of the actors. So it's good stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. I forgot that I have my last note here is just in all caps gore. So uh, how about you? How about you? 
And it's well, like I said, man, my biggest, my biggest is that nobody's got the fucking balls to just go out and make a monster movie right. like this anymore. I mean, and if they did, they wouldn't have the fucking balls to try to do it with full on practical effects. Like he was forced to back in 89 when he was making this damn thing, but that's the way it needs to be done. You know, and and I just yeah, man. I I it's like I said with it with when it comes to this versus that theatrical cut. Like I, you know, kind of felt the same way I did having seen just that theatrical cut of you know my bloody Valentine all the time. Like for some reason I enjoyed the meal, but I wasn't satisfied. But yet it was still a meal that 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 I you know thought back on. I but you know I I I but I pushed myself away from the table stuff, but not satisfied. And then magically, years later, I, I get this legendary additional footage plugged back into both of these films that had an impact on me that now have filled me up and satisfied me. And it's, you know, like, it's only a handful of other movies they've done that to, you know, that, uh, that had an impact on me that way. Um, but yeah, like, it, it's like, you're right. It's still never too late to go. I don't want to say back to the well. But springboard it with, you know, with with Ashbury and Decker. I mean, fuck, even if Cronenberg ain't going to do it, you could put that mask on somebody else and have a Mandalorian the shit out of it. Never take it off like Pedro Pascal did. You know what right, I mean? Right. Um, and just enough makeup. Anybody can make it look like, like anybody else in this film. Although I'm sure Sheffer would step back into the role of Cabal. Something tells me he's got a fond, you know, memory of this film and appreciates it, you know? Um, I would, I would really, but I would love, um, to have seen what would happen with an actual, like, serialized version, like a television show that was in development. I didn't look too much into it. I just kind of saw it when I was glancing through stuff today as I was taking notes that, that, you know, I thought it actually made it to production and, and to, like, hit the air at one point and just kind of came and went and shit the bed. But you're saying it never even got beyond, like, the talking point stage, huh? Right. So yeah, man, it's just uh, hands down. It's one. Of, it's, it's just a great overall fucking monster movie. That it's a shit nightmares are made of, and the closest thing they can even compare to it is the third act of Cabin in the Woods. You know, yeah, right, that's right. hands down. Um, real quick before we get the Mulligan moment, I really uh, just quickly want to jump into um, the comparisons between the uh, theatrical. And uh, the 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 cobalt cut. Uh, so alternate versions from another dimension, real quick. Alternative versions from another dimension. Short and sweet. The differences here. Uh, early in the film, there's a new conversation. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm speaking like we, we watched the cabal cut. So early in the film, the phone conversation between Boone and uh, Decker uh, that's shown uh, sets up them more clearly as doctor and patient and then establishes Decker's bad intentions. That's not in the theatrical cut. Um, the, the, uh, the, the scene with Lori going to visit him at work that we talked about earlier. That's also not in the theatrical cut. That's a new scene. Um, the Johnny get angry scene is extended in this cut that's actually uh viewed as the director's cut's biggest problem is the um the addition of this fucking song that we talked about in the breakdown there's also a early dream sequence that uh gets really odd that i talked about in the the plot that's also no 
And let's see. There's an additional scene between Lori and Cheryl Ann uh, setting up her death later on at the hands of Decker. I do believe that is the scene with the egg that we talked about. Um, and one thing we did not mention in the break, the breakdown is that Doug Bradley, while he does play um, Allowsburg, he does not voice him. He got dubbed, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah very I, obvious. I, very yeah, obvious. I was, I, I was, I was actually, I, I didn't even jot it down, but I was even thinking to myself, I'm like, first of all, I know he doesn't sound like Pinhead, you know, but I've spoken to the man several times, and Same I know he doesn't sound nice. like that either. And I never thought he sounds like that. this. My yeah. name is Lausberg. You yeah. can't go. You're forbidden. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I forgot. I forgot all about that. Um, the scene where Lausberg introduces Boone to Baphomet is longer, and then there's a new scene where Lausberg tries to stop Lori from uh, looking for Boone inside Midian. That's all not in the theatrical. Um, lots of additional creature work. We talked about that already. Um, let's see what else. Oh, also. Uh, the, the the big key difference, like we also mentioned in the plot, is the 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 death of Lori, how she kills herself. Um, Igerman being killed. The biggest changes to the conclusion of the film, um, so that we got to see that's not in the theatrical cut, is Decker killing and decapitating Narcisse. That's not in the theatrical cut. Uh, Ashbury killing Igerman is also not in the theatrical cut. And the, like I mentioned, also Decker's resurrection is the last scene of the movie before it cuts the credits. Unlike this cut, when we watched it, it's actually the post credit scene. So, um, yeah, all, yeah, and, and that's that, those are the key differences. And just wanted to um, let people know for those who were curious. Not that you guys are going to be watching the theatrical cut much anymore these days. If all the streaming services are just going to flat out give you cabal cut and nothing else, which hey, I'm I'm okay with. I know you're. Okay, it's you're not okay even with. like I said. The peacock doesn't even indicate it. That's where it's at for us right now. Is on right. peacock. Exactly. Now when it when it when it hit Nightbreed, it, I mean when it hit when it hit Netflix, it was still billed as night billed as Nightbreed director's cut. Right. And that's when I hit you up, and you were like, um, yeah, you weren't like really pressed on it right away, but I think you got to it within the week. But I was like, I'm just like, dude, it's fucking incredible. Oh my, I think I was live tweeting you or, or texting you. I'm like, oh my God, it's fucking incredible. You're going to love it. You know, but now it's just straight Nightbreed. And so I actually double checked too. Cause I had to, I like pause and looked at the runtime. As soon as I saw two hours on my TV. I did too. I, like, I did too. I told I'm you like, fuck, they're, not, they're, they're just straight, just it's become Nightbreed now. There is no longer that other version, which is neat. It's it's what everyone loves. And so let's talk about what we didn't love so much and get the mother right. moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? Okay. Uh, for me, um, <laughs> look, I'm I, I'm I'm big on editing and pace. For so for me, tighten up that pace. Probably eliminate the Cheryl character altogether, unless you believe as the viewer that she was written to get Decker to Lori, which he was already following Lori. So what gives? Um, I just think there's some things that can be cut all together and just tighten that up, you know, trying to get angry. But other than that, you know, fantastic stuff. Just tighten it up a little bit, maybe an hour and 45. There's probably a good 10, 15 minutes of this movie you can cut out. 
um, with leaving a lot of good stuff intact and not feeling like you're being taken from. So that that's my Mulligan moment. Just tighten up that pacing a little bit. And um, yeah, how about you? I, literally, you 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 took them both. Like I, the the Sherlyn character is pointless. It's surreptitious. There's no need to no need for her to be there to drive the plot or anything. It just sets up, you know, another Decker death that pretty much happens off screen. It's, it's a random death scene for the studio to get right. behind. That's it. right. And it's and it's it, it, her death happens off screen. The aftermath is you know it's it's shot in such a weird way you really can't see much of anything anyway. You don't see shit, and we don't know this character, so who the fuck cares? Give a shit. Exactly. It's like they knew each other for a half cool. an hour the night before. Suddenly they're taking a fucking road trip the next morning. We you got know, like so, yeah. five minutes of screen time with this broad before and boom, she, she meets her demise. She didn't, she didn't need to be there, you know. And 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 again, yeah, and and the nightclub scene. I mean, I didn't need to. I didn't need to establish what Lori did for a living, you know. I wasn't stopping and thinking about that in my monster movie. I wanted to get to the monster town. You know, you could just show, you know, show them living in the pub for all. I knew fucking trust fund kids. I didn't give a shit. You know, <laughs> well, as, they, as, long, as, as long as they got the, as long as they got the spooky town, that's what that's you know worth my price of admission. Get me there. You know, so that, that you literally those were my mulligan moments with Cheryl Ann and the nightclub. Or at least just, you know, trim that nightclub down to like 20 seconds, not the whole duration. I don't need the fucking chorus and the fucking verse to earth. Right, Two right, verses right. and a fucking chorus and Johnny get angry. Yeah. So let's get the finger looking good. <laughs> finger looking good. And mine is a little nostalgic, but I don't care. The scene with Decker killing the family early in the movie, probably the scene that I think about the most it's so random because this movie it's it's irrelevant to the actual film and everything we've been talking about for the last you know hour or so um but i have it and like i said i i forewarned you guys before i gave the answer off it's probably backed by nostalgia well it is backed by nostalgia because it's the one scene i always think about it was the one scene i always thought about as a kid like as a kid, it genuinely freaked me out and scared me. You know, I'm not gonna lie, it scared me seeing Decker walk up the steps after that little kid. You know, me being that kid's age myself was like, I always thought that us kids in movies were invincible and 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 couldn't be hurt or, or touched. Nah, there are movies where the kids get theirs, and I won't be damned if this is one of them. So like that just moment with Decker walking up the steps after that little boy, you know, to this day still like it gets me it really does even you know just watching this you know earlier today just that that moment with him slowly going up you know at first you're like he's not gonna come around that corner that boy is safe fuck no that boy is dead as dillinger and, uh-huh. uh, it's a really creepy moment like just the scene in general like that the way the family gets slaughtered it, it's kind of like this is not a slasher movie, but it's it, it, it's Clive Barker managing to just incorporate slasher well, that, element into that. That that film that film is. It, I mean, that scene is filmed that way. Like it's shot at those you know lit and yeah. shot at those angles to you know remind you of you know or at least you know give you tinges, if you will, of Carpenter's Halloween and even you know some yellow flicks from you know from around the same time as exactly and that's why it works so well yeah. for me. so I'll, I'll agree with you there because yeah his knives are all nice and shiny so there's that yellow yeah, that's right. 
that's coming through. Like Deckard carries, even his rusty knives are pretty fucking shiny. And he's wearing you know, gloves. He's wearing and he's wearing black, black gloves. gloves. So it's yeah. a little jello coming out. Um, for me, dude, I, it's just any, it's literally anything in Midian because anything I, in Midian, right. it just, right. because it has been so, it was like literally what I had been wanting for, what it's was it? Almost, playpen. Right, right. I and for twenty five years I've been wanting to see that, and then after twenty five years they fucking gave it to me, and I'm like, oh my god, this is beyond my wildest dreams. And I must have seen this cut probably. This is probably my seventh or eighth time watching this cut since it's been made available. Um, because I don't have the the disc like you do. I was just relying on it hit streaming services. Right. And uh, you know, it was it was bad. You know, fortunately between us, we keep enough of them between us that we're liable to lay hands on just about anything we ever go looking for. Um, and yeah, like I still haven't you know, like I'm still finding new little monsters to pick out in the background and make me like, like I said, like I want an episode. Like, do, do a TV series to me an episode. Each each guy gets their own fucking episode. You know, just so episodes. Many, you know what I mean? It's you're guaranteed like a five five season run easily. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, just At yeah, the just, least, yeah. right? Any anything in Midian, even even the cool little stop motion shit that's only on screen for a couple of seconds. But and I yeah. think part of that's nostalgic because, like I, I, I said, I used to kill time at that you know mall job, you know, in the kiosk you know, reading over this GeoCities type site and seeing some of those images like on a still shot and then suddenly like I'm seeing them actually moving within the frame and, and coherent with the story. And I'm like, oh my God, this is cool. These little breadcrumbs I had followed for 20 years have led me to the pot of gold, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just mid, it's Midian all day long. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, you and I need to go to HBO and just pitch Midian the TV show. I bet you we can get Clive on our side. You know, we, we, we just got to make sure not to Dan and Dave the shit out of this thing when it comes to season eight and it's time to wrap up the whole fran franchise for the fans. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't they also doing a Hellraiser show? HBO. Uh, you, you know what? You're right. You're right. Because we were talking. I don't know what it was. I don't know what, what, what service it was on because they cast. I asked you the other day how you felt about them casting a, um, a female in the role of Pinhead. That's for like, the Hulu film. Right. And, and you're like, it's not, it's neither here nor there because the character's written pretty much androgynous in the book anyway. I'm like, all right, well, right. Let's, fucking, that's all you need to say. The fucking Tilda Swinton as Pinhead. I'm there. You know what I mean? Um, right, right. So, yeah, just why not give Midian its fucking own show? Because that's where the fun is, man. That's where the meat of this movie happens is in fucking Midian. You know, and you get a lot of Midian for your money in this in this one. So, yeah, that's my, you know, finger looking good all the hour that we get. Because, you know, for 25 years, I, I didn't even get 20 minutes. Now I got more than an hour to play with. Fuck yeah, I'm there all day long. All right, so let's put a bow on this bitch. <laughs> I say we uh, tie a bow on it and put her to bed. Look, I don't know how much better or more thorough I can explain my love and admiration for this fucking movie after the last hour and a half, 45 minutes or so conversation we've had all about 
the, the, the madness that is Midian and, and yeah. everything that just Barker brought to the table. Like he went all in on this film and it shows, especially it's 1990. You hadn't seen yeah. shit like that before. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, he gave you some creepy imagery in Hellraiser, but it wasn't a whole lot. It was, it plays out more like an Amy well, Bar. Let's face it. The, the and I watched it. I haven't watched Hellraiser in the last two years, and a goddamn thing happens in that movie until the last like twenty minutes or so. Yeah, honestly, I mean just the, 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 for the, the first the, time the, last the, week. So the build up with Julie bringing all the various guys so Frank can build up and build up more and more. I I do like all that, but like really, you don't see Pinhead till the end of the film. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like the sequel where he's like thrown shown throughout the entire thing, but. You know, it's he's just more contained in that first movie, and you don't get to see him really until the last twenty minutes or so. Whereas this movie, I mean, you, you they hit the ground running right off the fucking bat through the through the title card. You're seeing, you know, yeah. I mean, you're, yeah. Shit. Clyde Barker's world only gets a few minutes in the screen adaptation of Hellraiser or the you know the Hellbound Heart, um, and it it doesn't get the you know the, the the spotlight shown on it until the second one. Whereas here, like you get the you you get Clyde Barker, and if you never I mean, saw you, you never got Clyde Barker before this. You might as well call this the man's greatest hits because how much, you know, more fucked up and delusional can you get with creatures and designs and stuff because they're they're all included in this one way or another. Yeah. And it's just I'm I'm fucking there for it all. Um I can't get enough of this movie. I just, I wish that there was a sequel for it. I really do. This is like one of the rare times where I'm clamoring for a sequel um, because I feel like this movie's always deserved one because it was intended to have a sequel. Like, I always yeah, felt like there's, there's a second there's part a of this movie I've just, never seen. Yeah, there was a world that was created that we just never got any more of. And dorks like us have been thirsting I, I, and clamoring for it for nearly 40 years. I want to see that all out war. It's kind of like it would be like if we watched Infinity War, the Avengers, but then we never got Endgame. Yeah, for you know real. I mean? Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. That is a good way of putting it. And that's kind of how I felt all this time with, with my breed is like we just, we got that snap. Then that snap in this movie is. The resurrection of Decker, like oh shit, he's got Decker back. Oh, that's his like, you know, uh, his general or assistant or whatever, whatever the fuck you want to call him. Like in number two, you know, yeah, his sergeant at arms. He he fucking just declares war on these people, and then first bring back Decker. So, yeah, at first line of business, bring back Decker, and boom, there you go. So, um. And you can even have an undead Captain Igerman as like the just little bitch flunky on the fucking battlefield. Yeah, he'd he'd be there too. I'm sure. <laughs> I just never saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, any final parting words you'd like to add? Um, just hands down, top notch, one of the all time greatest fucking monster movies ever made. 
um, doesn't nearly get to talk about the town and uh, the love that it deserves, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, Ed and I are huge fans. We have been for just but this is our kind of movie. But if you're into the genre at all and you've never looked at this film, let alone never sought out this cut of this film, you may remember seeing on VHS 30 years ago. You owe it to yourselves. Just, you know, take a couple hours, you know, take a day trip to meridian i'm sorry to meridian you Listen, know gang, to, to, to big i'm gonna cut you off but it's for good uh reason to, to, to piggyback on what you just said look to all the 1.7 million motherfuckers who watched halloween kills over the weekend same channel flip it over to nightbreed watch yes yeah, there you go you got the cabal cut you can, there you watch, go, right you can there. watch Halloween Kills, and that's that's not a knock against Halloween Kills because we are big fans, obviously, it's except true. the episode we put out on it. You owe it to it's, yourself it's, to also it's, check out Peacock. I mean, uh, it, check, it, check out this on it, Peacock. Yeah, it probably shows up in your recommends list as soon as you finish watching Halloween Kills anyway. So might as it well better. make four hours out on it, guys. It's a, it's, a, it's a great Friday, Saturday night, one-two punch, if you ask me. You know? Um, yeah, man, just... Uh, I just can't say enough, but it's probably my favorite monster movie because it's such an original monster movie. Yeah. It wasn't a I mean it was adapted, but it was adapted by the guy that made the fucking movie for Christ's sake. So he, there was no chance of him fucking any of it up. Mm-hmm. The people that fucked it up were the money men, you know? Yeah. And so. that's you know, that, that's that's my thing, man. I just can't I can't and that, that and the fact that I, I that it's now just considered nightbreed. Like, forget anything else. This is what it is, and right. there's never anything but this. And mm-hmm. here you go. And that's a great thing. Don't even give them the fucking option. Just give them grade A right out the out the fucking out the gate. Well, gang, this episode has been sponsored by whatever pills Doctor Prescribed Boone because the quote <laughs> in, because the quote inherent vice you're gonna want to get good and fucked up before this meal. <laughs> and with all that being said, guys, this film definitely, definitely, definitely gets the film effect seal of approval. And that will bring things home for this edition of the show. One down, many, many more to follow. If you enjoyed this episode and want to continue to support the show, then please do so by heading over to Apple Podcasts, leave the five star rating, leave the positive review, recommend the show to a friend, tell all your friends. Fuck it. More the merrier. Just come all come one, come all, enjoy the show. And while you're at it, check out the website at podpage.com where you're gonna find your ever-growing collection of previous episodes and pick up some merch while you're at it as well. Tpublic.com slash user slash film effect podcast. Shirts, cases, bags, a lot of cool shit, guys. A lot of different designs to go on top of that cool shit. Um, so yeah, do that. Next up on the show, we have a special Halloween episode. And before I announce what that is, unless you already know what it is, because I announced the lineup at the top of the month, um, bit uh, minor schedule note. Uh, I realize that the next episode coming up is for Halloween, and Halloween falls on a Sunday. For those of you curious, no, there will not be a new episode this coming Monday. But we're letting you guys know ahead of time. I, I'm just burnt and I'm not doing 
you know, it's there's not even enough hours in the day and not enough days of the rest of the week to even produce two more full length episodes of the show. I'm still scrambling to get this Halloween episode out to you guys, but I'm committed to do it because we're going to be joined by Corey. The three of us are going to be talking about Pumpkinhead, Stan Winston, his uh, his his uh, magnum opus, as they, as they call it, in my opinion, uh, as far as. Uh, monsters go I, I i just love the design of that movie I have a lot to say I, I love the design of the creature I have a lot to say about the movie as a whole uh kind of like this one kind of like um uh just i get nostalgic because i and i'll explain why in the episode but uh, it holds a little place in my heart heart from being a youngster and um so yeah pumpkin heads coming up that'll be sunday for halloween but unfortunately guys I just can't produce another episode for the next day for you guys. We're going to take a break for a week. We'll be back on the 8th of November for the next episode, which I think is collateral. But if you follow our Twitter, it'll be all up on there at the the top of the month as we do every month. So Pumpkinhead coming up. Halloween episode for you guys. We're bringing home the Halloween Horathon. I'm so fucking sad. It is almost over. (sighs) November 1st, I think, is the worst day of the year for me. Really, and I'm being serious. <laughs> I hate November first. I hate that day after Halloween because I gotta wait another fucking year for my favorite holiday to come back. So, but we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna end this Halloween marathon with a bang, gang, and uh, deliver the final episode of said event, Pumpkinhead from 1988, um, starring the great Lance Hendrickson, who I should tell you now, Sean. I actually tried getting for the episode for us. Didn't work out. Really. Yeah, I uh, I I got her. So I'm not gonna reveal my tips on the air, but yeah, I tried get, I I tried getting them, but uh, didn't quite work out. So um, yeah, it'll <laughs> still it'll, it'll still be a good episode. Me and Corey will talk the shit out of it, and uh, yeah. So um, Pumpkinhead coming up, Halloween episode. This episode in the books. Take us out of here. All righty, gang. So uh, we'll see y'all again. When the theater lights go dim and the opening credits begin to roll. All right, guys, this has been another edition of the Film Effect Podcast for myself and Sean. Stay safe out there. Enjoy the rest of your day or night. Remember to check your candy. And until next time, it's been fun, but now it's done. See ya. Check you later.